boogeyman is real, and you found him. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. What's blood for, if not for shedding? I'm your number one fan. I like to dissect girls. Did you know I'm utterly insane? We all go a little mad sometimes. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Seven days. <laughs> I am Dracula. We have such sights to show you. Boy. I said, I'm not gonna hurt you. I'm just gonna bash your brains. I am the eater of wounds and of children. What's in the fucking box? They're coming to get you, Barbara. One by one, we will take you. Never get out of bed again! You gotta be fucking kidding. It rubs the lotion on its skin or else it gets the hose again. Welcome to prime time, bitch! <laughs> oh, <laughs> sorry about that. Welcome, welcome, horror fans. It is Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central Time. It means it's time for another week. Uh, what? What? <laughs> you fucked me up. It's, that means it's time for another episode of the Week in Horror podcast, the only podcast where every day is Halloween. And if you, dear horror fanatic, are listening to us at the top of the week, remember, we do this live right here on YouTube every single Wednesday. So we hope to see you in the live chat. This week, we are covering select horror films released October 22nd through October 28th. Thank you all so much for joining us. I am JL, and with me tonight is the esteemed Eugene. What's up, everybody? Do you like my alliteration there? I like it. <laughs> I feel so esteemed right now. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, bunch of stuff that we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, uh, I you know, it's like a, a whole smorgasbord of shit that we're going to run down and hopefully our live chat, the amazing people in the live chat will also have some takes on these things as well. Uh, but before we dive into that stuff, let's first get up that Patreon banner. There's those amazing people. I have the names of every single individual who helped to help us to make this show possible. So we love you all. Thank you very much. There's your names yep. right across there. If you're interested in supporting the show for as little as a dollar a month, you can. It's down there. The link for the Patreon is down there in the description. So uh, check that out. We have there's benefits for doing so. So we appreciate that to all of you people. And uh, let's see who we have in the live chat tonight. Let's see who is here. First, we got Casey Cooper is here. Good to see you, buds. As well met and salutations. Good to see you, Casey. Wrote an LS name as well. Gabba Gabba to you. Good to see you. Thanks so much for being here. Travis Brown as well, one of our big, big supporters. Good to see you, Travis. Thanks so much for hanging out. It says, evening, everyone. Watched Slaughterhouse on Hulu and enjoyed it. I have heard positive things about Slaughterhouse because it's just like, it. it's just a campy, funny, silly, oh, you know, slot, slother, slother film. Slother, yeah, I slot, guess. Slash, yeah, sloth. Yeah. Like. <laughs> sloth slasher film, but yeah, I've heard good things. Also, early reports are that Onyx the Fortuitous and the Talisman of Souls, that that movie is getting rave reviews because it is just like exactly what you want from pure camp horror. So it's just, uh, I've heard amazing things. Like none of, uh, the early reviews, the early screen, like screener reviews have been that it's amazing. So, and of course, Ooh, Andrew, to it. yeah, Andrew uh, Benson is good. They're doing like a, a, a one night limited engagement through, I think it's uh, through fan or some, some, one of those services, Fandango or something like that. They're doing like a one night engagement tomorrow on the 19th. Uh, but uh, otherwise, it's probably going to go straight to streaming. Likely will go to like Screenbox, uh, most likely, um, because it's it's backed by Bloody Disgusting. So I don't know. I'm not 100% sure. But uh, that movie is promising to be awesome. 
Um, let me see who else we got here as well. I've seen Ida Pimp Ho is here. Says, hi, guys. Good to see you, Ida. And Sarcasm as well. Says, good evening, fellow demons. Good to see you, Sarcasm. Thanks so much for being here. As well as Joshua Lee. Thanks so much for hanging out with us tonight, buds. Good to see you. Ivy Gentry, good to see you. Says, I'm here. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. NANA has been here. Yes, seven days. Good, sir. Good to see you, NANA. Thanks so much for hanging out. Charlie Welch. Hey, Welch, the only man on the internet you never make a bet with. Good to see you, Charlie. Thanks so much for being here tonight. And Sir Chasm has been a member of the Army of the Dead for three months. Thank you so much, Sir Chasm, for your support. Thank we do you. Appreciate that. Big time. We do appreciate that. As well as I say, NANA, thank you so much for generously gifting one membership to the Army of the Dead. We appreciate that, NANA. Thank you very, very much. Luckily, StreamYard is letting me know that these things are happening now, which is awesome. I'm glad uh, we were able to get that fixed. Yes, and any words are hard. If if I'm in the middle of the script and I hear something and it it'll likely derail me, which is kind of a it's kind of like ah, and it will throw me off very easily. Johnny loves that, and he loves to fuck with me when he does like like throwing something because I'll hear something and be like I don't want to miss it. And he was like I don't want to talk over somebody, so I'm going wait wait what'd you say? Oh, I'm in the he's just doing it to mess with me. Johnny does that all the time, which is really kind of <laughs> obnoxious. Uh, let me see. Um, Yes, yeah, so Travis Brown says Slaughterhouse does not take itself seriously and making fun of animal and makes fun of animal horror films. Absolutely awesome. <clears throat> Denova 28 is here. Good to see you, Denova. Thanks so much for hanging out tonight. And Casey Cooper, <clears throat> pardon me. <clears throat> Dang it. Casey Cooper and Joshua Lee have both been members for three months, members of the Army Dead for three months. Thank you both, gentlemen, for that support. I do appreciate that. Thank you guys rock. So. Yes, I know. I, I, oh, Casey Cooper says, I went to watch the eclipse and I now have trouble speaking. So I went, yes, I went down to Texas for the, uh, for the annual, the, the annular solar eclipse and I filmed it. I put the footage up on my personal channel, but I want, cause I, you know, I went down, I went down there with friends. We wanted to see it, you know, and then next year in April is going to be the total solar eclipse, which I'll be traveling out of town for as well, because that's going to be freaking amazing. So, but I'll be going down to Texas for that one as well. Fortunately, neither one of these events have landed in the middle of a show. So I, I'm able to be back in uh, back at the office to run the show instead of like somewhere else. So I, I'm not going to. So the eclipses will not, you know, cause me to miss an episode, which I'm very pleased with. Although I probably at one point need to like consider taking a break because <laughs> you've missed like two episodes in five years. I think so. I think it's like, it's like, like I think like two or three. I think something like that where I had to where I and both of those were because. I physically couldn't be back at the office. I couldn't be back in the office in order to do these things. So, but I appreciate you guys for for picking up the slack. I really do. Oh, yeah. That's what we're here for. You know, anytime. <laughs> As he tang whistle CPM. Good to see you, Tang Whistle. Thanks so much for hanging out tonight. Sir Cab says, I firmly believe that, that the O in Johnny's name means obnoxious. I will agree with that. I will affirm that 100 percent Absolutely. <laughs> no oh, arguments here. None whatsoever. Travis Brown says, oh, the uh, his birthday is on the Total Solar Eclipse on, on April 8th. Very cool. Awesome, awesome. work, Travis. Fantastic. That's going to be great. And I apologize. You know, yeah, I, I know that's the date of the eclipse, So, but uh, thank you very much, Travis. That's very cool. It, very cool thing to do uh, on your birthday. And, of course, Casey Cooper, there might be a movie there. There might be, like, a concept there, like the Total, it's the total Solar Eclipse on your birthday, and then you get, like, superpowers or something. I don't know. That would be really cool, though. <laughs> That'd be intriguing. That would be. Rodan LS Names says, Jail, did you get superpowers? Unfortunately, unlike the show Heroes, I did not get superpowers by watching the annular solar eclipse. I was kind of hoping I would, 
and then maybe I would have them until the total solar eclipse, and then I'll lose them. So it'll be like one season of like heroes. But I did not get any superpowers, unfortunately. No, no superpowers beyond what I currently possess. So, <laughs> man, the first season of heroes was good. That was a good season. Yeah, it was, it was good really until was. the It was good until the writers strike, and then, and then they fucked it all up. Yeah, but that was it. Absolutely. All right. So a bunch of stuff to get to. So I, I came across the things that was really curious. So. This month in October, we had a bunch of new releases, like a bunch of stuff that came out via streaming, about like some really, you know, some really big horror things. We've shown the trailers for these things for some of the stuff um, here on the show, but uh, some really, really quick takes. So the three that I wanted to talk about, well, there's been some others that are not on this list. This is just the, the top three that I came across was one, The Fall of the House of Usher on Netflix, Pet Cemetery Bloodlines, which is over on Paramount. And Totally Killer, which is on Amazon Prime. Now they're all streaming different streaming services. I know not everybody is like you know is like me, and where I have like all the streaming services um, because you know I, I I want to have them, you know, because <laughs> I, I like having access <laughs> to movies. But uh, I have to say, and it's just my quick takes. I don't know if you've seen any of like I don't know if you've seen it. Have you seen any? Of the, have you had the opportunity to watch any of these, Eugene? Oh, you know I don't have time to watch stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Only the stuff that I put out there that's just like this is what we're going to talk about. But yeah, any free time I I spend watching the movies for the podcast. So I'm like, (laughs) they're like, man, you're a filmmaker. I bet you watch so many films. I was like, nope. (laughs) (laughs) See, and that's the wild thing because the whole purpose of the show was to give working professionals, working people who work in the in the industry professionally, the opportunity to just fan out over movies, just be a fan over movies. And here we are. You can't even do, yeah. You, it's like you're so busy, you can't even do that, which is just, <laughs> except for the stuff that I give you to watch. Yeah. So, um, but what, yeah, I will give this Fall of the House of Usher. The Fall of the House of Usher, directed by Mike Flanagan, is absolutely fucking phenomenal. The way Flanagan interprets uh, Poe's stories, the way he applies them, is absolutely amazing. I am, I was, I've been loving it from episode one. Not, there's not a weak episode in the entire, in the entire like nine, there's nine episodes. There's not a weak episode in there. The acting is on point. The cinematography is classic, you know, Flanagan, awesome cinematography and Easter eggs all over the place. If you can spot them, like, for example, and I'll just give this one. There's a masquerade scene. I don't want to give away too much because you may eventually get to watch this. I don't want to spoil it, but there is a masquerade scene in one episode where one of the people like one of the characters in that scene, everybody's got masks on, right? Because it's a masquerade. Yeah. One of the people, the mask they're wearing is the mask from the killer in Hush. Uh, which was directed by Mike Flanagan. Mike Flanagan so yes. Yeah. So there are so there's little like like Mike Flanagan Easter eggs all over the place. Not to mention there's like like the 26 actors in his stable that all show up in the that all show up in the franchise. Like like they've all been in like other Mike Flanagan shit, which is fucking amazing. So all kinds of cool stuff. It's an, you know whether they were in Midnight Mass or they were in uh, the Midnight Club or whether they were in the you know, like Absentia or Oculus or whatever. They they populate throughout the whole thing. So it's really really an awesome fucking uh, an See, awesome fucking series. That's really awesome. I love it when actors come back repeatedly because that means they really enjoy working with them. Mm. And if it's like he brought back twenty six actors uh, from various projects he's done in the past, that means like. They genuinely enjoy working with him. And I mean, Mike Flanagan puts out a good product and I knew he was going to do well. Uh, Cause I've read fall of the house of Usher and I'm a huge Poe fan. 
And I love I love the story as a whole. So I knew it's going to be done right. I love the trailer. It's going to be done right. And one of these days, I'm just going to spend a weekend and actually just watch the entire. I have to binge it. Oh yeah, you got to binge it. You got to binge it one sitting. You do. And like Angela binged it in one sitting. I unfortunately I only watched up to episode five when I was out of town for the eclipse. And then when I came home, like it was like eleven o'clock. It was like I can't. I I like I immediately we drove back from freaking uh where were we we were in kerrville so in one day we left and we drove back from kerrville all the way back to dallas and then i immediately was like hey i like that pack up boom back in the car straight forward home and i like got home at 11 o'clock you know gave angela her presents that i picked for uh picked up picked up her and immediately when we we, we would it was like boom i want continue watching it's like i need to continue watching this so it yeah, is that fucking good that's a sign of a good show where you choose the show over sleep. Right. Exactly. <laughs> that's exactly it. Um, a, a quick hello to Gosha Peckfire. Thanks so much for being here. One of the best names on the internet. Good to see you, bud. Tony Regime as well. Thank you for the obligatory ghost. We appreciate that. And uh, I thought I saw, yes, uh, Sarah Velez. Good to see you, Sarah. Thanks so much for hanging out tonight. Um, let me see here. Oh, Casey Cooper says, I should write a movie. Cross House, uh, House of Usher with Hound of the Baskervilles, guest starring Cthulhu. See now, now the gears are turning. I don't know how I'd make that work, but I could probably <laughs> would, make that work. But it would work. <laughs> yes. So there's so follow the House of Usher. If you haven't had a chance to see it, it is on Netflix. If you have a Netflix account, definitely go watch that. It is fucking amazing filmmaking. You know everything down to like acting, cinematography, direction. Everything is on point. So you'll freaking love it. Um, next up, and this one really, really pissed me off. Okay. Pet Cemetery. Pet Cemetery. Bloodlines. We were lied to by that trailer. Lied no, to. And I, 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 I told you. I told oh, you I was like... I am so pissed. And But here's the fucked up thing. It was not the acting, the cinematography. It was not the acting. It was not the direction. It was not the... You know, like the, 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 what killed that fucking movie was the editing alone. The editing alone is what killed that film. That that film is so atrociously paced because of the way they edited it. I cannot forgive it. It was it was un, it was literally. I'm watching. It was like it is annoying how they are how misedited this thing is because the uh, the the concept of Pet Cemetery. If you look at the original film, okay, the film has an almost kind of it's a it's kind of a slow burn, yeah. okay, the, and that's the point. Because grief and tra- grief, which is ostensibly what the what the the whole theme of the thing is about, is is grief and our incapacity to deal with that grief and how grief can lead you to do abominable things. Grief is slow. Okay, it's a slow burn. You cannot do the story of, like a pet cemetery story and edit it frenetically, almost like an action film. I'm picturing like pet cemetery edited like Taken. Yes. Okay. You like there were moments that were that were so beautifully shot. Like the framing was shot. It was like that's like this is excellent. There were landscape shots that were wonderful, but they didn't. But they hardly spent any time on them because they were so quick to edit to like cut and get to the next thing. The thing moved too fast and was super. It was just obnoxious. And I kept being okay. I kept saying, no, I want to see more. No, 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 no. Let 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 it let it sit. Let it literally let let the audience stew in the visual you're giving us well see but I, they don't 
And this is the thing is I'm wondering if we're going to get more and more movies like that because of how people watch movies today, where people watch movies on they're watching them on tablets, they're watching their cell phones, they're watching them while they're working out, they're watching them yeah. on the background while they're working from home or so forth and so forth. So you have movies now that has to constantly keep vying for your attention and fighting for it. Whereas 20 years ago, movies are just on a theater. You went to a theater to see a movie and the movie didn't have to compete with anything else. So movies could be these real slow burns. Um, I always go back to the example of the movie Lost in Translation. Lost oh, Translation yeah. is a fantastic movie, but I saw it in theater. And it's a very, very slow burn. And there's probably 30 lines, maybe 40 lines of dialogue in the entire movie. Because you have these moments where Scarlett Johansson and Bill Murray will have complete conversations just looking at each other. And if you're on your phone or you're zoned out or something like that, you're going to miss it because it's not constantly fighting for your attention. So I'm curious if we're going to run into movies now that especially movies going straight to streaming. If it's like, well, we have to edit it fast paced because we're afraid we're going to lose their attention. And they'll jump to some other streaming service. Right. It, it's, it's, yeah. a, it's terrible. It's terrible. I hate it. And, and it really pissed me off now. Um, so just to catch up real quick. So Travis Brown says, Oh, and Hey, Cindy Sue. Good to see you. Thanks so much for being here. Travis Brown says, wish that film was connected to the 1989 films to the 2019 remake. Agreed. I would agree with that. Holy. Um, Cindy Sue says, did JL cover that Piper Laurie passed away on the 14th? And unfortunately, yes, a uh, legendary actress, Piper Laurie, um, did pass away on October 14th. It was a shame. She was a legend that you probably know as, you know, Carrie White's mother in the movie Carrie. She was also, uh, one of David Lynch's favorites. And when she was in, uh, Twin Peaks, um, she, a number of roles, if people might remember her from her portrayal as one of the teachers in the faculty. And I love her, even though I, you know, I loved her in Carrie, loved her. She was a phenomenal actress. I really loved her in the movie Hesher. I really did. Do you remember that film with Joseph Gordon-Levitt? That was a good, yeah, that was that a good, was a good fuck, movie. That was a good it's, fucking movie, yeah, wasn't it? Yes. It's one of those movies that's, like, that's kind of like a, eh, I was with some friends. Let's just throw it on. Someone said they liked it. They were like, yeah, that was good. It, it, it surprised me. That movie was legendary. And uh, Piper Laurie played the grandmother in that. And the the story, like her arc in that, when you juxtapose it against Hesher's arc and the family's arc after the death of the mother, when you juxtapose those things, it is just, it is both heartwarming and heartbreaking because as only Piper Laurie could do. So a legendary actress who left us, unfortunately, she was, I believe, 91 when she passed, um, but she left us a tremendous filmography. Oh, she has a hell yeah. of a career. She's also in the movie, uh, one of my favorites, The Hustler. With yes. Paul yeah. <laughs> So it was a shame. It was it was a it was a damn shame. I hate when we uh when we lose somebody, and I uh, you know I I hate having to move um the actors that I love from the happy birthday to the in memoriam in the uh in the um and the the horror movie database, which is always such a shame. I I was just reminded that earlier because Tom Sizemore's birthday is coming up in next month. So mm-hmm. I was kind of because I'm sitting, I was laying out the November release of the Daily Splatter, and unfortunately, we lost Tom uh, Tom Sizemore, which reminded me of that. It always sucks, but we have a tremendous filmography to remember her by. All this phenomenal work. Gosh, she was such a good actress. Uh, yeah, Denova twenty eight says I recently saw In the Mouth of Madness. I'd have to give it ten out of ten. Movie, what? Absolutely, and you yes. can watch it too because it is now right now. It is free on YouTube. 
So you can go to YouTube and you can watch In the Mouth of Madness. You can see, like, there's a reason I have that poster on my fucking wall. Because <laughs> In the Mouth of Madness is fucking amazing. Because Sam Neill is off the fucking hook. Not to mention Charlton Heston, man. It's got Charlton Heston in it. It's That's a amazing. killer cast. That's a, and, that, and, yeah. and Jurgen Prock now, man. Jurgen Prock now is just a fucking killing it. Um, you are correct, Sarah Velez. They need to allow us to marinate. To mar- so we can marinate in, you know, we can stew in the what they're trying in the in what they're trying to build have, within the you movie. You have to have these moments where you let scenes breathe. Right. That's one of those things. You have to let things <clears throat> breathe. And especially when you drop massive, like I say, a massive reveal or massive piece of the story, you have to let that kind of settle. Let the audience kind of think about that for a moment before you move on. Because if you cut it too fast, it's like a you drop this bomb part of your story. It's like, oh man, oh too, too late. Can I'm already have to focus on the next thing instead of letting yeah. just letting it go. Yeah. Denova 28 says, when it comes to Pet Cemetery, I'll stick with the original. I will as well. I will. Yeah, I you know, Pet Cemetery Bloodline dropped the fucking ball in the editing. It would have been a fantastic film. It really would have been. The acting was solid. Henry Thomas was great. Everybody was on point. But it does not matter how good your fucking performances are if you cut them up like shit. If you if you literally cut that thing like fucking paper dolls. No. Incorrect. They oh, fucked yeah. that thing up in post. So Oh, oh, hands down. Um, it was I can't remember who won it. It was I can't remember actor or actress, but somebody who won best uh best performance. The first person they thanked was the editor. There you go. I'd like to thank the team. (laughs) Editing makes and breaks your performance. They make and break the film. There have been several films that have almost been ruined. Uh, If you watch the movie Last of the Mohicans with Danny Day-Lewis, watch it from an editing standpoint. The editing is terrible. The music and Daniel Day Lewis and the elaborate set pieces kind of save it. But like, there's some moments where like the camera, it like, just basic editing mistakes that's just kind of they could have cut that a little sooner or they should have held on to that a little longer there's a lot of mistakes in that movie Uh, juxtapose against like juxtapose against like dances with wolves where every scene is just way too long because it's like it was like you know costner was there in the editing but it's like you sure we can't like hold on to that shot of like that uh, just a little bit longer just a few more just Get another five minutes out of that shot. Of me. It's like, <laughs> um, I can't watch that movie anymore. It's, it's, I tried. I, still, I can because I anticipate like Graham Greene and all the other amazing actors that are in that. There's some moments that I really love, but still, it's kind of like the sweeping shots of Kevin Costner on the planes gets a little tiresome. Yeah. Um, Denova 28 says, I kind of like uh, Pet Cemetery 2. Uh, I kind of enjoy Pet Cemetery 2 for what it is, but only because of Clancy Brown. Clancy Brown's performance as the undead sheriff, he fucking makes that movie. You know, that was at the point that Edward uh, Edward Furlong was starting to kind of like buy his own hype. So that's just yeah, me. That's yeah, that's when kind of, as we started yeah. a downfall, unfortunately. Paracord Princess, good to see you. Thanks so much for being here. Aaron Reese here says, Twin Peaks like a motherfucker, yo. Yes, yes, Twin yes. Peaks like a motherfucker. Um, I introduced Angela to that. She fucking loved it. Uh, let me see here. Uh, make sure uh, Aaron Reese's rising and falling arc. If you climax too early, it just gets messy and everyone is disappointed. That goes both ways. <laughs> that really does. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. <laughs> so Pet Cemetery Bloodlines definitely fucked up on the editing. The editing totally fucked that up. And the last one I wanted to mention was Totally Killer. So Totally Killer is on Amazon. And it, oh, by the way, if you want to, if you want to risk Pet Cemetery, but you at least want to see it, see the movie and see what they were trying to do with it. 
it's on Paramount Plus if you have that streaming service. But after, you know, Halo pissed everybody off, I doubt that you do. Um, totally Killer is on Amazon. And Totally Killer, produced by Blumhouse, is not bad. Karen Shipka is a very talented actress, and she kind of brings it. Um, definitely for the woke generation, um, I get... Uh, I would say I hate to say the woke generation. I would say the, the the generation today, definitely today's generation, where viewing certain things. But so while taking someone who was raised in this current generation and transplanting them to the '80s, and you get that commentary as to like what what is acceptable, what is not acceptable, is entertaining to a point. I, I get I get that there's like all these references you can make as to how people dressed, how people behaved, what things are like. I can't believe that they thought this was acceptable at one point, and you know, in this kind of like security minded, identity minded generation we have today, where back in the '80s, these things weren't even thought about, you know, because it's like a you know they just weren't. Yeah, but see, on top of that, I think Hot Tub Time Machine did it better anyway because that was the the, the the as soon as they go back to the 80s they start asking you know what color is michael jackson what is everybody wearing and that movie was hilarious but at the same time like i kind of get it how times are different that yeah there are things right, acceptable yeah. then and it's like okay cool all right i get it now let's move on to the actual characters that's what hot tub time machine did they were yes. like we're back in the 80s this is insane now back to our story with totally killer, it was it, that that was a running gag throughout. It's like there's constant references where Karen and Shipka's character references like there was like oh like when she we, okay first like like there's one sequence where she has to go in and she's trying to find the younger version of her mother. So she's like she's back in the '80s, so she's trying to find like the so she goes to her mother's high school and she literally walks in and says, "Hey, I'm an exchange student from Canada and I was in here and I was supposed to like." you know, get this, but I didn't get it. So like, do you know what class and the second, the, the secretary there literally goes, there's your class schedule. Go on. And she's like, that's it. You don't need to verify anything. And she was like, what, what does this look? It was like, what does this look like? Fort Knox? And it's like, so they just let her in. And she's kind of like, and she turns around and goes, which is like, holy shit. Flying must've been crazy. Back then, it's like, well, <laughs> and there's comments like that throughout the deals. Like, oh, yeah. Well, there's like, some funny, mo- they're fun. Mo- I can see something like that could be kind of funny. It was like, they just let me walk in. It's like, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like, but the problem is that they rely too heavily on those references. I'm, I'm making like those, like, this is amazing. Like, for example, when she gets kicked out of a party, there's like, she tries to get into a party where all the popular kids are because her mother was a popular kid and she gets kicked out. And so, like, the big burly football player who's the bouncer there picks, literally bodily picks her up walks her outside and dumps her on the front lawn. And she's like, unwanted touching, unwanted touching, and like this, so, but making a big uh, scene out of it. And everybody's uh, reaction to it was like, it's it, like, it's weird. So yeah, I yeah, get that's, like that's you said. I, it, it, was, it, would, it was funny in doses, but I think they rely on it too much. Otherwise, it's not a bad film, but it's ostensibly Happy Death Day 2.0 is what it is, where it tries to go that, but it's like the fish out of water comedy, where it's kind of like, she's going back, it's like, oh, the world was so different. That's great, but you could have also gone like the world is so different, but it's it's actually not so different, which would have been, I think, a little bit more interesting. But that was the problem with that one. So it's it's not bad. It just kind of gets in its own way because I think that the, the writers behind that were not creative enough to take the comedy in another direction or to explore other options. So the movie is definitely made for a very specific generation. We'll say that. Yeah, uh, uh, unfortunately. I mean, they, they yeah. all can't be winners. 
Exactly, but definitely better than Pet Cemetery Bloodlines. But if you want to check out any of these, or even better, if you have already seen them, for you out there listening, I would love to hear your thoughts, especially now that you've heard my thoughts and Eugene's reactions to this. Uh, down in the comment section, let us know. Follow the House of Usher. Did you love it? Did you hate it? Pet Cemetery Bloodlines. Did you hate it, or are you wrong? Uh, totally Killer. <laughs> what did you think of Totally Killer? Love to get your thoughts on that. Definitely let us know down in the comments below or weekendhorror at gmail.com. So, uh, Raven Darkstar, did you get my email on Bridge the Divide? I think I might have. I'll have to check it out. Uh, appreciate that, uh, Raven, and good to see you. Thanks so much for being here tonight. I also saw, what is it? What was it? Um, yes, Aaron Reese. Yes, I did just say this. The bisexual guy just said woke generation. I apologize. It, it, that's what is it, this the nomenclature? I, I would do like Gen Z, I think. Gen was. Z, yeah, I guess yeah. Gen Z. You could say Gen Z, it's pointed at that. My bad. So I the minute the minute the words came out of my mouth, I was like, ah, someone's gonna send me a hate email. I know I'm gonna get a hate email because I just said that. I just know it. But trying to describe that, you know, the things we're bringing up. But nonetheless, um, let me see here. I think it just says I am amused by the concept of the generation that we're supposed to be ruined by MTV. <laughs> I'm I'm amused by the concept of the generation that we're supposed to be ruined by MTV videos is now jumping in to say TikTok is going to ruin attention spans. <laughs> <laughs> You listen to me, Ivy. Video killed the radio star. You cannot dispute that fact. That is true. <laughs> oh, Jayverse, good to see you. Thanks so much for being here tonight. And thank you for showing off those emojis. Yes, if you are a member of the godless, oh, sorry, if you are a member of the Army of the Dead, then you have access to all the cool emojis that I made for you. So thank you so much, Jayverse, for showing that. We have all those cool emojis that I that I put together for you so all the little horror icons and shit not to mention you get the channel badge as well it's like 99 cents a month if you choose to support that way and uh, it helps to make this show possible so i appreciate that denova 28 says i'm a millennial but i feel like i'm from an older generation that's that 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 gen x bleed off yeah that's what that is yeah we've been hanging with gen like x too much. it's like a <laughs> it's like a buffer like growing up we started off by going outside and then eventually the internet took over because i never even got onto the internet until i was in eighth grade because it just wasn't a thing uh, yeah. up at that point. So what did we do? We ride bikes and we did other stuff like that before then. Fucking a mm -hmm. road bug uh, road bikes got in trouble. That's what we did. Yep. And a, and a thank you so much for gifting one uh, membership to the army of the dead. Thank you so much. And yes, Casey, I almost like mixed up my channels. I have my personal channel where I have memberships and I have this one. That one over there is the godless army. This one here is army of the dead. So I have armies all over the it's fantastic. It's good to have, good to yes. have like good awesome. to have resources. Yes, and Sarah Bella says, "I love the emojis." Thank you so much, Sarah. I appreciate that. I hope you I hope you dig them. All right. Um, and the, okay, so the next thing I wanted to bring up was uh, just kind of a news thing. Terrifier three has been slated for a full release, twenty twenty four, but this one is going directly to streaming because Screambox is uh, actually bloody disgusting is uh, behind some of that, so it's likely going to Streambox. Screenbox, which is a subscription service that you can get you know access through uh through Amazon, but likely that will go directly to streaming first. We may not get a theatrical release despite the success of the theatrical release of Terrifier 2. So we may see that go directly to streaming there, which is going to be good. So that's terrifier that's the news on Terrifier 3. You a Terrifier fan? Uh, Damien Leon. You know, Terrifier is it's a basically it's a niche um for me because they're like horror films i've seen terrifier one and terrifier two but mm -hmm. they're not films that like oh i'm going to recommend to anybody and they're all honestly they're like a one time like a watch thing because 
you can only push the boundaries so far in terms of what Art the Clown can do. It's like, uh, okay, well, he like, all right, well, he already cut a girl in half and like the worst way possible. Then they up it with, I think, I can't remember characters name, like Annie's death where like to pour bleach on her and cut various body parts and eating her and all sorts of kind of stuff. <laughs> and so I'm kind of like, uh, well, I guess where do you go from there? Because obviously they get they have to up it again. And at some point, you're hitting a Serbian film. Like you're just That's you're true. Honestly, you just really are. Like you, you. There's only so there's only so far you can go before what what happened to the torture the torture genre where you can only you the further you go, the less people watch your content, but the people that watch it enjoy it more. But you, you begin to alienate your audience more and more and more and more and more because people have their limits. Yeah, it's true. And that's what's kind of curious because I, I fell into kind of like an internet hole <clears throat> talking about this new kind of slasher renaissance that's taking place because from the from the, essentially the slasher film has not been super popular since night since Scream. Came since 1996 when Scream came out. There's been a few films that have popped up along the way that have kind of been like, oh, that's interesting, you know, in the in the in the like the the post the in the in the post meta horror landscape. There's been a few films that have popped up. A few there's plenty of slashers that have been made, but they haven't really been super popular except in the last kind of five years when these types of violent slasher films are popping up and Terrifier is kind of leading the pack. But now, once again, we are seeing, so we're now seeing a rise in the popularity of slashers because since Terrifier came out, and I don't think we can attribute it solely to Terrifier, but Terrifier was amongst those that were willing to like, you know, were willing to push the boundaries. And all of a sudden we see an uptick in not only the number of slasher films we're getting, but in the strength of those films where the, the you know, because people look at Terrifier and be like, wow. Now let's do it better. Let's do a really, really gory, really, really hardcore slasher film, but let's make it look really good, you know? And, and so th there's been a pushing start, so almost reflective of the Italian horror genre, of the, of the horror genre in uh, post-war Italy, whereas the, the filmmakers were basically trying to one-up one another, but they were always supporting each other, but they're always kind of like, let's, let's push the envelope, let's push the envelope, let's push the envelope. We're kind of seeing a resurgence of that mentality in the slasher subgenre today in America, where now it's about, it's you said, inevitably it'll get to a Serbian film as to how far they can push it. The same with the Saw franchise, we see that. So we see like how far can they push the slasher genre until eventually it kind of like dies out, is my so curiosity. So I wouldn't necessarily say with the slasher how far, obviously there are people who are pushing their limits, but I wouldn't say that's like the main focus. Slashers are becoming a resurgence just because horror as a whole has gone onto a forefront because when you have the 96 film scream came out and slashers were revigorated what you end up happening you had a couple of other good ones i know what you did last summer mm. um but then what happens is you have that cw movement and it really killed a lot of slasher films in mm. the mid-2000s i'll like once again mid-2000s worst time for yes yes and what you end up happening is with the onset of streaming and how cheap horror films are are um, able to make, you're getting the people who grew up with 80 slasher films that are now in the position to make their own horror films. And so what you're seeing is you're seeing more slashers, but people playing around with the idea of it because you have things like 
final girls. Well, let's go meta. Like with right. let's see it from this angle. What happens if you what's happened if the girl is like military trained and now you have like you're like, like you're like you're next. Yeah. yeah, like you're next or you like let's put let's see what kind of a twist and terrifier is the most extreme and they're going to be the ones pushing the envelope but there's a lot of slashers now that are more homages to the 80s like with summer of 84 or it's more yeah. an homage to that style and let's see it from a different angle versus how gory can we make the kills and see, this is interesting. Sarah Velez brings up an excellent point um, about, I wonder if, she says, I wonder if the resurgence of the popularity is because of games like Dead by Daylight and Friday the 13th, and of course the newly released um, uh, newly released Texas Chainsaw Massacre video game, and of course uh, the you know, games like The Quarry. So there, there were games, so we've seen a, a, a resurgence of games that allow us to interact with our with their, these kind of iconic characters in a completely new medium, which in itself has also kind of reinvigor- reinvigorated the slasher genre as well. I will agree with what Sarah is saying there that because this generation is you know approaches creative media mediums or creative media from a different angle than we did back in the eighties, back in the 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 eighties and the early nineties, because it's fundamentally different. They're going to have a. There's going to be different ways to kind of reinvigorate stuff. So we're seeing video games result in this. I think plays into it. Not to mention the reinvigoration of the horror genre, due to what we would call elevated horror from you know from like a twenty four, and some directors like Robert Eggers and um, uh, Fede Alvarez and individuals who were focusing on really trying to tell creative and terrifying stories. So like Midsummer and Hereditary and uh, no, I could the list goes goes on and on and on. So I think it all plays into it. I uh, see that we are basically seeing what has occurred in the past. The same with like post-war Italian horror films, with the way um, the way Hammer Horror took over from Universal by reinvigorating the uh, the classics in a more graphic and more violent, you know, in, in a more intriguing way, plus with color. And so we're seeing these resurgences throughout time. I think we're just seeing it again because of the influence of other media, because of how media itself has changed. So I'm kind of, but what I'm curious of is where it's going to go eventually. It's like, where are we going to wind up? That's where I'm curious because we're seeing people push, not even in terms of gore, but in terms of creativity, because now you're getting movies like with Ari Aster, um, his filmography, Bo is, was it Bo is Beautiful? We already talked about Midsummer, and you're getting Robert Eggers. Take movies like The Witch and The Lighthouse. Oh yeah. Where I don't know if the lighthouse could have been made 10 years ago that a studio would sign off on that. I, I, yeah, I don't, yeah. don't know with, with, with a lot of the themes that are in that. I don't, I probably wouldn't be, I don't think a studio would take a risk on something like that. I don't but think they would. You have, you have that movie, but that movie's fantastic. Right. Um, and so you, so with horror, horror is that one and only genre that doesn't really have rules if you want your film black and white you can make it black and white you want a slow burn you want fast pace you want a gory you want a suspenseful you can have tension they're great horror films that almost have no kills horror films that have hundreds of kills like you can go through and you can tackle so many different issues that you just can't with other genres right Oh, and good to see you, Jefferson Spatchcock. Thanks so much for being here tonight. I almost missed your name. Thanks so much for hanging out with us tonight, as well as uh, Jasper. Good to see you, Jasper. Thanks so much for being here. Says, hey, hey, Eugene. Hey, Jail. Good to see you, Jasper. Um, Let me see here. Um, 
Yeah, Denova 20 says, I think Kane Hodder did motion capture Friday 13th. You would be correct. He did. He uh, lent his hand. I think um, I think he also did motion capture for uh, for the Friday the 13th, uh, for, uh, for the uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre for Leatherface. I think he did the mo the mocap for that as well, if I'm not mistaken. But I, th- I think I remember reading that, but I could be wrong. So correct me if I'm wrong on that. Um, Sarcasm says, the philosophy of horror will always replay each generation because it addresses the same social concerns. But the effects keep getting better, so I am good with rebooting the tropes. Good position. I like that. And yeah. Genova 28 says, I still can't handle that warehouse scene in Terrifier 1. There are a few who can. Let's just throw that out there. There are a few You, you have to have a certain... You, you have to be the type of person that likes the super, super extreme... Uh, if you like films like a Serbian film, if you like films like Sallow or 120 Days of Sodom, Audition, if those films are up your alley, then by all means, you'll enjoy the Terrifier franchise. Yeah. But those films are not for everybody. August Underground, shit like that. Yeah, like yeah. the really the really hardcore shit. And a uh, huge thank you to Tony Regime, who's been a member of the Army of the Dead for two months. Thank you so much, Tony Regime. Appreciate that support, bud. All right, so the last thing I wanted to mention, kind of a question for everybody. It's a question for you. It's a question for the live chat. So I hope to see these answers in the comment section. So, oh, and Jefferson, Jefferson Spatchcock says, audition is a favorite. Yes, it is. Yes. <laughs> you, you, just, you just can't warn people before they watch it. You can't spoil it. You just got to go watch audition. That's all you need to say. And then let them make up their minds after the fact. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when the, when the piano wire starts twisting, you know. You yeah. just kind of you, you got you got to make a decision. You got to make a decision. You know, with with who you are as a person. So <laughs> oh, it, um, it tells you something about yourself. It does. It really does. And Annie says, "I must be dead inside." <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the last question I want before we dive into tonight's uh, films <clears throat> is what? Because it's coming up. We can't. We have to address it because this is the greatest month of the year. Halloween is the greatest holiday of the year. You know, I wish I wish every day was Halloween. I would live in Halloween town. I'd fucking love it. So, but my question is this, because it's Halloween and we celebrate all things spooky, you know, all the time. What is your favorite movie for Halloween? Oh, that's a that's a tough question. Doesn't have to be a Halloween film. Doesn't have to be that, but I'm saying your favorite movie to watch during Halloween. And before we dive there, Gavlar Hand of Zod, good to see you. Says audition is awesome. Yes, it is, good sir. Um, but, uh, good to see you, Gavlar. Um, my, okay, so I'll tell you this. Yeah, I know you're thinking about it, but I've already, I already knew the answer to this is because my favorite is, tri- is, uh, Trick or Treat. Trick or Treat's a good one. Trick or Treat is my annual, like, that's my annual watching. So every Halloween, I throw Trick or Treat. I've seen it every year since it came out. I have watched Trick or Treat without fail on Halloween. That's my annual Halloween film is Trick or Treat. Um, let me see here. Oh, Sir Chasm says, Hocus Pocus. Hocus there you Pocus. go. That's, that's perfect. And he says, Halloween. Oh, Gavlar agrees. Trick or treat. Absolutely. Uh, Travis Brown says, there's a lot of films I love, like Ernest Scared Stupid. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> that's a funny one. Uh, Tony Regime says, Poltergeist and Beetlejuice. Awesome. I was, so I was fixing to say Beetlejuice. I used to watch Beetlejuice a lot growing up around Halloween time. That's, I mean, that was, that's, I mean, Beetlejuice is such a fantastic. You got right? Michael Keaton in his prime. <laughs> you got Wyona Ryder, a Wyona Ryder doing her thing, um, and just the whole premise. Tim Burton. I still think that is Tim Burton at his prime. Like this is my aesthetic before it became super commercialized. Like this is my aesthetic. I'm going to run with it. 
I myself yeah. am strange and unusual. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I swear I need to get I need to get that I need to get that shirt either for my wife or for me. It's like I myself <laughs> am strange and unusual. Uh let me see, you got some other ones here. Joshua Lee says Ghostbusters for sure. Both movies, one and two. Um, excellent choice. Sarah Bella says the tingler. Very nice. Yes. Nice. Ivy Gantry says Dracula in 1972 AD. Badass. Very cool. Jefferson Spatchcock says Trick or Treat or Mandy. Excellent choices. Excellent choices. Denova 28 says Nightmare Before Christmas. I awesome. knew someone could bring it up. I already knew. Yeah. Uh, Ronan Ellis Name says Adam's Family. Nice. And Casey Cooper says Die Hard. The holidays are so mixed up now. <laughs> <laughs> that's a Christmas film, my good man. Christmas film. Um, let's see. Gavler Hand of Zod says Hoobie Halloween is a guilty pleasure. That is an Adam Sandler film. I know it's on Netflix and... <laughs> <laughs> Angela watched that, and I, I caught moments of it. Though I will admit this: as goofy as that movie is, the Shaquille O'Neal scene really got me. That that was actually quite funny because it's funny to see Shaq be silly and self-deprecating. So I love, you know, I love the way he, how real the guy is. But uh, that was that was a, a, a cutesy film. I say a guilty pleasure, absolutely. Joshua Lee says probably going to watch Army of Darkness as well. Oh, awesome. Wow. Tony Regime says, if you get the chance, watch Beetlejuice on Shrooms. Uh, we do not, uh, the Weekend Horror Podcast does not condone the use of psychotropics or psychedelics in the watching of any movie. Uh, viewer discretion advised. Uh, we do not offer that kind of advice. But that sounds awesome, Tony. It really does. <laughs> <laughs> now, now we have the legality part of the way. Yes. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Uh, Left-Handed Jedi says, Horror of Dracula. Nice. Going back to the 60s. We have that movie coming up this season. We will be talking about Horror of Dracula, guaranteed. Ooh. So, fantastic stuff. Uh, Sarah Vela says, I love watching black and white old school horror, so I will watch a marathon starting with The Tingler, Dracula, Werewolf, Frankenstein, and end with Creature from the Black Lagoon. Yes. Fuck yes! My favorite! She's just hitting all of it. It's like, yeah, I'm just going to hit the best real quick. Fuck <laughs> yes. Fucking love Creature from the Black Lagoon. That, that's my monster. That's my monster, is the Creature Because he did no wrong. That was their fault. He was not the monster. They were. They invaded his area. They fucked around in his fucking lagoon. Listen, he was, he was a, living his best life. He was living his best fishman yeah, life. That's it. He did the creature did nothing wrong. Nothing whatsoever. It was their fault. They did it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me see. Jefferson Spatchcock says, Watcher in the Woods is good and family friendly. Something wicked this way comes to. Watcher in the Woods. We talked about that on a previous season. Um, both of them, the original yes. and the and the remake. So uh, let me see here. Uh, let me see. Uh, I did not know that Casey Cooper. I don't want to put that in the uh, in the. Uh, I don't want to read that and put it out into the universe because that's just terrible. Left handed Jedi. Good to see you, buddy. It says grew up with grew up with Lee and Cushing. Fuck yes, excellent. Oh, Lee, uh, Peter, uh, Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing, and uh, Vincent Price. Man, that was that was where that was where it was at. Paracord Princess says, I I can't sing it, but I know it. Halloween is almost here, almost here, almost here. Halloween is almost here. Silver Shamrock. So Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. <laughs> Fuck yes. Hell yes. Um, so yeah. Uh, so excellent stuff. Excellent recommendations there. A whole bunch of great stuff. But definitely let us know down in the comments below what your favorite Halloween film is. Not, not of the franchise. Your favorite film to watch on Halloween. That's what I mean. So yeah, just, just to clarify. Film, any film it doesn't have to be from the Halloween franchise. Yeah, it could be Halloween. But it, it could be. be, but it doesn't necessarily have to be Halloween. So your favorite movie to watch on Halloween. So there we go. Uh, Denova says, I think I might make Demons my go-to Halloween. Nice choice. Yeah. Nice choice. All Lots great good stuff. good choices. Yes. All right. So 
as Alex likes to say, motherfuckers, we got some goddamn horror movies to talk oh, about. Oh, yeah. Which we're we actually, do. <clears throat> I mean, we're kind of, man, we're, we, got a, we had a lot, long build up into this one. So we're going to have to. We did. We did. Yeah. But, but I, I, stuff, I, I deliberately, I deliberately structured it that way because I know that there's one of these films we're not going to have a lot to talk about. So I'm just saying so like, we're not going to break down. But, yeah. and, I, and I think it's likely this first one. But nonetheless, uh, Eugene, why don't you kick us off? Um, what do we got up first? So first we have The Pit, which was released October 23rd, 1981. Roll it. Cue up that terror tube. As soon as I, you know, do this correct. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> All right. That is The Pit. Directed by... Of Despair. Of, no, of I'm dis- kidding. That's a different dun, movie. Dun, dun. <laughs> Directed by Lou Lehman and starring Sammy Snyders and Jenny Elias. And... I, I mean, okay. You have this creepy kid that's like 12, right? And he's like, you stumble across a pit that has these creatures in it and then he just pushes people into this pit so the creatures can eat them <laughs> that's it that's that's the entire movie like everybody i mean every the old lady that made fun of him like he put work because it wasn't <laughs> like she's rolling by the pit and then he pushed her in no she's like on the street and he like hijacks her and he's like rolling her up this hill because the pit's out in the middle of nowhere. It's like rolling up this hill, hits roll by all these trees. She's like, no, 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 he's still rolling. Like, she could have fell out of the wheelchair at any point during the two hours it took him <laughs> to push her to the pit. It's okay. The the okay, so <clears throat> yes, so I, I will I will give it this. So someone uh let's see, uh Road Noah Snape says, and people at and people ask me why I don't have kids. Uh, I agree with that. Sarcasm says everything about this movie just screams riff tracks. Absolutely. So yeah. there is so much. Okay. So it's, it's a really, what's what really makes the film weird. Number one is that the film is legit eighties comedy horror gold. The problem is, is that I don't believe for a moment that that was intentional at all. Now this is a Canadian horror film. And as what was it? As uh, somebody, uh, as Joshua Lee points out, Canadian horror. What are we going to be? Slightly startled, <laughs> you know. And so, <laughs> there's no like, there's no like jump scares. There's no like jump scares in the film, and it basically just follows this really super fucking creepy twelve year old whose behavior is bordering on what we would describe as like burgeoning serial killer behavior. You know, like weird predilections, weird fascinations. You know, he's talking. He hears a voice out of his teddy bear and shit. And then he discovers this pit full with these monsters in it, these like trogs or troll, whatever he fucking calls them. Yeah, whatever they're called. And then starts, you know, justifying the feeding of people who were mean to him to these things. Just like, just like arbitrarily chucking them in. The problem is, that could be a very, very dark film. Okay. So one thing that's important to note is that the, that this movie, what we got, the unintentional hilarity of this film, the fact that there was like cartoonish scoring to several sequences in which in which Jamie is committing these murders. Okay, I will say that the cow sequence was kind of funny because he's like trying to talk <laughs> to the cow. He's like talking to the cow. He's like, come on, cow. What are you doing? The cow's like, moo. And he's like, oh, I didn't want to kill you anyway. You know, that it's just I didn't want to do that. So back to killing people. So throwing people in the fucking pit. So 
there's some r- truly ridiculous shit that goes on in the film, but which is what's weird because one half the tone of the film is extremely dark, which is when it's you know when they're conveying Jamie's story and how like sec- how perverse he how like I would say in his sexual proclivities or his sexual obsessions, how deeply just how deeply troubling those things are. With you know going from voyeurism to straight up, you know, like getting, like, you know, getting, getting his hands dirty in that respect and his inability to understand boundaries and in his inability to understand or to empathize with the people that are around him. That's very, very troubling. But then we cut to these almost cartoonish sequences in which he is like chucking people, you know, the old lady sequence was kind of funny or like tricking, tricking people into falling into this pit. It's important to note that the version of the movie that we got was not the original version and that the writer that you that was mentioned, uh, Ian Stewart, he wrote the original story. The original and the uh, the original script, I think, was called uh, was called Teddy. And the in that book, you can understand why a lot of the darkness is in there because in the original screenplay, the uh, in that one, which eventually was novelized later on to really reflect what the writer intended, the story was was completely totally dark. The monsters were fake. Like those were all like imagined. Like the monsters were imagined. The voice in his teddy bear was also imagined. And in actuality, what we're seeing is that he, that this kid is fundamentally fucked up and that he's, he's basically like created this delusion to justify why he's murdering people and what's going on in his world. Cause we find out at the end, it's all fucking make believe, you know, none of it is real. He's actually like, you know, insane and that's what's going on. And he's insane as a result of the, the the neglect of his parents is because his parents are extremely neglectful because they literally just go like oh you're too much to handle so we just leave you here with this babysitter and then we just take off and so the neglect has re- led to him leading this really really like like fucked up life um that makes sense given like you know how like serial killers and that re- that kind of were reflected back in the 80s and the kind of understanding how monsters are made by their environments and that's what the writer was trying to reflect the director came in and said, okay, I'm going to direct this movie. Here's the script. The monsters are real. Jamie is, is like now older. He's now 12. Cause in the, in the original script, like he was nine. So Jamie's now older. Um, you know, and, uh, we're going to go with it. And the monsters are real. And he made a bunch of changes that don't really reflect what was originally intended to be told, which is why the movie is so tonally different is because all of the cartoonish comedic elements were added by the director. Whereas the original shit was the writer and what the writer had in mind, which is why it doesn't seem to function and creates this unintentional like humor. And he'd see what you're like, oh, that's really fucked up and creepy, dude. That kid needs to be put away to laughing because he's like, oh, with the, with the old lady. And then boop. And then just like, you know, did her like Greg Abbott, you know, just boop, just threw her into the freaking uh, into the pit. So that's why the film is so weird. I think it was the was the breakdown between the writer and the director. You know, the movie just misses on so much because we don't see any type of like really like internal conflict with this kid. I mean, this kid gets to the point where he sets up an elaborate prank so that he can get topless photos of of the one the little girl's mom right but it's like oh well i'm gonna call that your daughter's kidnapped and you have to take her top off and then he's gonna hold like take a polaroids uh from the window that's just creepy him hitting on his babysitter that's twice his age is just creepy this is a weird scene where she does give him a bath 
Right. Yeah. It's just weird. They go but, with that. They 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 play into that. Like the like the weird relationship between Jamie and his mom, and the neglectful relationship between Jamie and his dad. So they they were that that's all reflected, but not so much as it should have been. Which is why it, it's yeah. It just it it doesn't it doesn't make sense. Um, in the way it is, it's like it's just bad all like all around it's, <laughs> and it's and it's not like a it's it's shot decently uh the monster effects are pretty cool uh, with it and what about it, the it, what, what, what about the eating asmr all the, the mwah, 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 like that the, the fixate like the like jamie's fixation on oh it was just it was I, that just got. I was like, "Oh, come on, guys! We don't need. I don't need to see like you know, nom, 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 up close in my face. It's like that's gross, just unnecessary." But I understand it's it's ta- it's giving us an aspect of Jamie's character and how he how he how he abnormally fix or atypically fixates on little things like that. That kind of like you know, and I get that, but it just overall just was like, ah, oh, it just kind of takes me out of it. I don't need to see like, you know, the close up of somebody eating with their mouth open. That's just fucking just gross. Yeah. I just, <laughs> I just don't, there just wasn't, you know, I felt, I felt bad for Sandy. Um, but the George, when it's coming towards the end, like I saw the end coming like a mile away when he goes and he yeah. said like the new girl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's Boom. like, oh, I fall in a pit now. And I was going to like, Oh no, I'm a victim of my own. Oh, okay. oh wow. That's the ending I would have came up with if I couldn't come up with an ending. <laughs> right. It's just gonna like, oh, and then someone else put you yeah, boops him into you know, tossed him into a pit. It, it it's obviously a very it's an un, I think what what throws this thing off and makes it uh and what makes it, you know, the comedy goal that it was, or the riff tracks material was because of the, the because of the div, the divergence between the original author and <clears throat> between the uh the screenwriter and the director. <clears throat> that's what happens when you know because the director's got the final say the director says what goes if they want to make some final changes to the product <clears throat> they can the, the screenwriter got paid they're good to go we got your script now we're going to run with it and do it like this and you know that's just it's an unfortunate that's a thing that happens in the industry you can't control what always goes on the, the writer has no control of what goes on the screen okay not to mention there's the possibility that comes along that you know if <clears throat> if the producers say you know what this is just really really dark and we're going to put people off. So why don't we try to inject a little bit of humor to try and like up it a little bit to try and keep people's attention. But then you risk your tonal shifting. You risk like throwing the movie off. The movie doesn't know what it wants to be, what to be a psychological horror or a comedy. So <clears throat> it unfortunately kind of falls, it falls into that pit. Uh, I mean, I'll, it, I'll, I'll show myself out. I mean, it could have, it could have been, some interesting moments because it starts off where uh you know he's being bullied on halloween night and so then he like tosses the bully in and the bull is the first one to go and it's like it could have it could have had some really interesting premise because it's like if the bullied kid could get revenge on the bully because we've all known uh bullies or have been bullied and mm-hmm. it was like well what if and you gotta think if you're a 12 year old boy and let's say you're being bullied by some older kids on a merciless basis. You cannot tell me that if there's a pet, you wouldn't consider throwing them in. Like, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but I'm saying that as a 12-year-old boy who gets bullied, that's an aspect that could have been really interesting to dive into. Maybe the moral implications of that. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's like, well, I finally got back at the bullies, but then it goes too far because obviously the bull gets eaten. 
And so that could have been a really interesting premise, but we just skip right over that. Just, just straight up like. So DeNova28 brings up, <clears throat> I think it would have been better if the whole thing was in the kid's head. And I was sitting there thinking about like what could have been. And I was sitting there imagining, like, well, imagine if it had this one. Like we never see what's in the hole. You know, we never see these monsters, but we see him like dumping people in there <clears throat> and then like, maybe we hear the sounds of them because we've already established that the teddy bear talks to him. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then we could put the sounds of monsters, but we never see the monsters. We put the sounds of them in there because could it be like he's hearing the sounds and the sounds aren't really there. Then you do a thing where he eventually coaxes the babysitter to come out and like, look, and she looks into the hole and she's like, <gasps> and she's like shocked. He's like, oh, you see them. And like, that's so, but, but then you have the final reveal at the end where it wasn't monsters she was seeing, but all of the corpses from the people See that he'd been that. disposing of in the pit. That So that would have been interesting. Uh, that's, that's very similar to a Russian serial killer where uh, he would attack his victims in the park and then he would like injure or stab them or something like that. And then he would throw them in the storm drain. And the storm drain was like a 30-foot drop. Ah. So if you're already, if you're pretty much already wounded, or you're unconscious, he would throw you down, you would fall 30 feet onto solid concrete, most likely killing you or incapacitating you, then water would flow in and wash away. And, I mean, he he was he was eventually convicted of somewhere around 40 to 50 uh, murders throughout Damn. the process of that. But that would have been, that would have been a really interesting premise of maybe he would just toss them in the pit and maybe the pit would kill them. Because of the sheer like depth, it could have been that. Yeah, it could have been something of that nature, or possibly that he was killing them and then dumping them in, dumping them in. Yeah, either either way could have been uh, really interesting, or even to the point where they would fall and get injured, maybe break both their legs. But listen, it's the 1980s and they're in a pit. What maybe what are the odds of somebody finding you? They could die of exposure or something like that, or suffer that way. So there could have been a lot of interesting ways, but I definitely agree with you that it should have, the monster shouldn't have been real. Right. And I think like that, that, that ending sequence would have been so much better. If you imagine like it, it comes down to it and you, you can just, you can leave out the whole, like, you know, the monsters eventually escaping. You can say that like something happens and like the, the teacher, like the, oh, sorry, the, not the teacher, the, the babysitter falls in because you could have that whole sequence where she actually goes in and now he freaks out he's like, ah, the one person I didn't want to die is now dead. He freaks out and then winds up getting other people killed, but not in a controlled way. It winds up just like defending himself. Like maybe he defends himself and winds up killing somebody. So now he's like literally done it. He's got to deal with it. Now he's in a panic. Now he's running. The police get involved. They chase him. He runs to the pit, which was like the one place, you know, he runs back there. And then the police, like he's there at the pit and he's looking in. And then the police show up and he turns around. And he's like, ah, and then the police like just shoot him just out. Cause that's what they did in the eighties. They just capped you and asked questions later. Oh, yeah. So then they capped the kid and then he falls in the pit. And then when the police approach the pit and they look in, he's laying in there on, and then the reveal of all the bodies of all the people he's chucked into the pit already dead. And he's laying on top of them. See, that, that would have been so, that would so interesting. Really, really so interesting because as soon as the babysitter, is killed the one person that he didn't now it begins to spiral because at first with with a lot of serial killers serial killers will have a routine and they're meticulous and they continue this routine but eventually you slip up 
and it's that accident. And then once you make that mistake, then it starts to spiral because now it's like, well, now the babysitter's dead. Now he's the, the police are coming in because originally he was killing people he barely knew, but now the babysitter's tied to him because she was last seen with him. And now he's trying to um trying to figure a way to cover it up at the same time, maybe has those psychopathic tendencies and it just spirals out. That would have been right. Really interesting. And the other guy says, live rewrite. It's a live rewrite. <laughs> Absolutely is. I think there could have been better ways. I think this failed that, that the premise of this idea, I think that the original screenplay would have been a lot, lot stronger. I think that it was a, a more compelling film. Um, and I, you know, I really do. I even think that it could put, it could potentially work given we, you know, given what we can do today and how we can approach that. I think if you were willing to take like the slow burn route and show the slow deraveling of, of Jamie's character, I think that would have been, that would be really, really interesting. I think it would be. What could have been is definitely what is better. What could have been is definitely better than what we got. But, you know, we can thank the performance of uh, the lead actor uh, that was um, Sammy Snyder's. We can thank the, you know, the performance of Sammy Snyder's because solely predicated upon how super fucking creepy Jamie was is the reason this movie kind of lives on with its cult following is because people watch this and go, holy shit, that kid is fucking creepy yeah, as shit. He's creepy. He's creepy as shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. you're like, yeah, he's going to prison at some point in his life. <laughs> <laughs> so, I actually, I want to ask the audience, since we kind of actually dove into this a little bit, is this film worthy of a remake? So, is The Pit worthy of a remake? I mean, we kind of already wrote half of it, just spent <laughs> all in March. <laughs> Gap on the hand of Zod says, now I want to see JL's version. I kind of want to see my version as well. I kind of do. I want to see it. <laughs> you know, if we if we had if we had the time, if we had the time we didn't have other projects working on, if we were like, you know what, we need another movie. Let's remake the pit. You know, let let's do that. Now, now the the now the uh what was it? The the screenwriters, you know, screenplays ostensibly is probably still out there. So you can either like shoot the original screenplay or you could just remake the film and it's like, like totally fucking dark. And that would be the kind of thing is kind of like homage to the original vision. And that is, it's all, it's all in his head. It's all bullshit. And I think that would be with the psychological twist that they would play. Yeah, so I, 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 I think say, I think it'll play really well. <laughs> I say, yes, I say, yes. Uh, let's see. Travis Brown says it reflects on today's humans. Then if it reflects on today's humans, then yes, absolutely. With the psychological twist, I like that. Joshua Lee says tentative. Yes. <laughs> Sir Kaz <laughs> says, yes, weak and horror remake. Love it. Oh, uh, Ivy Gibson is worthy of a remake by jail. Appreciate that. Ivy. Thank you very, very much. Um, yeah. Denova 20 says sort of like a fight club scenario. Yes. But Tyler Durden is a teddy bear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Left-handed Jedi says if the things in the pit granted the kid boons for each body. Uh, there's a, there's a number of ways you could play it. There really is. I think that the things in the pit should be figments of his imagination. I agree. That they, there's something he picked up in a fantasy book that he read that he is then transposed in his, like he's delusionally transposed into his reality in order to cope with the fact that he is killing people that, that, that he doesn't like or people that have mistreated him. So I think we'd play, it would play along that right. There's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of like outpouring in the live chat saying, yes, this needs to be remade. And specifically, I should write it. So I'll... I'm just saying, like, and you never show the creatures just the yellow eyes. Oh, like, you can do it's that. Still yeah. on, it's still on, it's still on his head. 
But let's say the first time he looks into that pit because something has to trigger that. So he has to see something in the pit, even if it's in his head. But if you just saw like a nice, just yellow eyes, just looking at him, and that's all you need. You don't need to see. They don't never need to climb out of the hole, with, which they're surprisingly agile for climbing ropes in the movie. Right. But, oh, those cats were like, mm, yeah, 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 just jumping up there, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you never use like you never need to see them. You never anything like that. But just to know something that oh, that could be, that could be interesting. I did, I did like, I did, I did think it was kind of when the when the two are like skinny dipping, when the two like teenagers are skinny dipping, and the girl gets taken, and like that one is like ha, like heads over shoulder like a sack, and he's like ah, he's like running off, and the boyfriend's like oh my god, and then all of a sudden raw, and then comes out of nowhere, and just lands on him, it's like that shit was that, that shit made me laugh. I was like okay, that's fucking funny, just like because it's just like he likes like 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 he was like where is she? Where, where's my girlfriend? And then it's like she's butt naked, and he's like ha, it's like carrying her off, and he's like. Oh my god! And then just like raw, and he just comes out of nowhere. And just like I can imagine, the director was on set. He's like, "Cut! That's fucking gold. gold. That is gold Print. right there. That's <laughs> printing money." All right, all right. Let's jump on to our next one. So, uh, this next film that we're going to talk about, um, actually, pleasantly surprised. Released October twenty third, two thousand four. We have Zombie Honeymoon. <laughs> the old Furby in the pit. <laughs> Fucking Furbies. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. Uh, cue up the terror tube. Let's check out this trailer. All right. That was <laughs> that was the trailer for Zombie Honeymoon. So, directed by David uh, Gabro and written by David Gabro and uh, starring Tracy Coogan, Graham Sibley, Tonya Carn- uh, Cornelis, and David M. Wallace. The film follows newlyweds, uh, Denise and Danny, who have uh, are enjoying their honeymoon. And unfortunately, Danny gets exposed to a zombie um, that infects him. And the couple is then forced to deal with his slow descent into, you know, like being a zombie, being the undead and dealing with eating people. And how they try to get through that. And uh, you know, obviously, shit definitely gets real. So, the... Um, I will have to say, I was pleasantly surprised by this film because there was, I think there were, there were, there were one thing I expected is like watching the trailer. I fully expected kind of like a, like a, like a zomcom, like a, like a zombie comedy in that respect. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, they're going to like comedic elements like, uh oh, you know, Danny's a zombie. What do we do? He's eating our, he's eating the best man. I don't know what to do. So, it, you know, something of that nature. I thought it was going to go in that direction, but it surprisingly didn't. And I would say that this is more of a zom rom, where it's a zombie romance, in the respect that they were that they were willing, the filmmakers were willing, or the writer was willing, to dive into some really, really deep topics about uh, about love, commitment, and the boundaries we set for ourselves and for for us when we decide to incorporate a person into our lives, and you know the the struggles with those things when we are faced with aspects of our partners that we didn't anticipate or we didn't expect and how we're willing to look past those things and they did it in a not so i would say and it did it in a not so comedic way which i found i i'm not going to say it saved the film i'm going to say it was not what i expected it was intriguing i liked the willingness to take that risk and tell a story that you would expect to be one way but turns out a completely different way uh so on this one like i gotta disagree uh it falls a lot into (laughs) 
man, it's 2004. It's just it's such a <laughs> I don't know why we've been talking about so many like 2000 films. I just I I don't know why. Um, the cinematography here is just not great. It's just it it looks like the CW, like all the other films that shot during a time period. Um, the of uh, the effects themselves were just they they're okay. Um, I mean, I can get where you're kind of more more eating ASMR than I really didn't need. Yeah, just like excessive really sloppy. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, like, it's great. more like we're gonna get you to have a like bunch of squishy sounds and like I'm fine with her. I'm fine with her. Like, oh, I want to still try to make this work and everything. But honestly, I felt like in terms of like a zombie romance, like Warm Bodies did it better. Warm, Bo- Warm I will Bodies agree. is a better film. Yeah, I will agree. Films. Warm Bodies is fantastic because, and, and they, what made that great, it was a writing-wise, narrative-wise, that plays off the Romeo and Juliet, the star-crossed lovers idea, which I think I think virtually anybody can relate to in individual respect. People who love each other so much that it breaks the boundaries of you know where they come from or, or their family limits or whatever, societal limitations, where love, love, you know, love, like love goes beyond these arbitrary boundaries we set for ourselves. That is unpredictable and it can come out of nowhere, even though Romeo and Juliet's a really, really dark, you know, crazy, you know, story. Um, but nonetheless, I agree that Warm Bodies did it better. There's uh films that do that do that tell this kind of thing better. And Raven Darkson says, No, jail, you cannot polish this one. No, just no. Yeah, yeah, it, um, it doesn't work. I don't intend to polish this one, but I will give credit to what they were trying to do. The one thing, uh, careful how you say eating ASMR. (laughs) I just don't need it. Okay, Warm Bodies was amazing. But in this particular one, I think what what hampers this one is obviously its budget. The budget definitely is, if you want to tell a story like this, then you've really got to go for the gusto and the effects you showed. Unfortunately, they cut away too often from the zombie effects. And the most zombie effect we get is when he himself is decomposing. But even then, it's really not done well. You know, they, 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 I've seen better. I've seen better in, you know, a variety of films, but from a writer's perspective, I kind of appreciated that. And when I read a little bit more about it, and this is what fascinated, this is what really, cause there was something that kind of stuck with me. I was kind of like, what is it about that, that this movie that's like not great? I mean, it's, it's shot pretty cheaply. It's a, it's a fairly low budget film. Um, the writing is it, but there's something about the writing that caught me. You know, and I found out about this, and this is fascinating because I don't know like how many people know about this one, but the director uh, Gabrow, the director uh, David Gabrow, the entire this entire film was essentially written in response, and uh, to put it into his own words, because he talked about this in an interview, was like <clears throat> the 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 director was inspired to create the film, inspired to write the movie and to shoot the movie after the events uh, events that took place in his actual life, when his younger sister, Denise, um, lost her husband. his So it would have been his brother-in-law, or lost her, I think he was, yeah, lost her husband in a surfing accident, which was a, a sudden, unexpected thing that happened in his life. And the movie itself is what he kind of calls a valentine to her strength and her ability to get through her grief and keep moving forward in life. <clears throat> that whole ending sequence of her on the beach and then walking down the beach was essentially, you know, a reference to his to his uh to his sister's ability to get to not allow this tra- this this horrible tragedy to define the rest of her existence. And to that so it's essentially what that story is. So that's why, you know, the the character 
Um, because his sister's name is Denise, his character's name is Denise. She and her husband, before he died in the surfing accident, were actually planning to move to Portugal. And that was like yeah, that so the story really reflects what happened there. And the choice of zombies that he put in there, as he stated that zombies represented the cruel hand of fate, is what he envisioned them as. Is like, is this this thing that you can't control that comes out of nowhere, the zombie walking out of the ocean? And just hand you a terrible hand. It's like, boom, you got dealt a shitty even, fucking hand. How do you deal even with that? that? There are there are better films. I think the film Spontaneous deals with that a lot better, where you have like the high school kids that start exploding. Uh oh, yes, then, yes. Yeah, it's, it, and they're just exploding randomly, and they never ever find out why. And it's like you could just blow up and die at any moment, no matter what. You no matter what you do, there's no cure. They try to give him a drug that says prevent it, but it ends up it doesn't work. So it's like you can literally just die at any second. So it has that theme of you have to make the best of make the, the most of your life. Make the right. most of your life. To, to me, spontaneous did it phenomenal in the way that's done. This, on the other hand, is like execution just gets to me. I just, it's not executed well. I, I, this was, I get that. Yeah, yeah. If this was a if this was a kind of a grief to his sister's situation he could have done better uh, it, it may it may have been it may have been i'm just saying that i think that that personal aspect came through in the writing enough for me that's what kind of caught me it's like there was something something there was a connect there was connected tissue between the writing and the like the director i knew that they were written, written and directed by the same person but there was something personal about it. There was something that he was conveying here. And of course, like uh, Sarcasm says, this is what happens when you have IMDb Pro and you read too deep into the page. <laughs> so, you know, I I thoroughly enjoyed it. I liked what he was trying to do. And, and I, I think that one of the good things about Zombie Honeymoon is that it is an excellent example of how life informs art. About how we internalize the the events in our lives, and we can see that inspiration. And while it takes many forms, and people can sometimes do it better than other people can do it, it made me appreciate the film a little bit more for what not what he, I mean for for what he was doing, for what the director was doing in his own style. He took some inspiration. You can see some inspirations from other films there, from obviously from stuff like Zombie and um, uh, I would say, but probably some you know, the, you know David Cronenberg's The Fly, and maybe like you know. Uh, uh, you know, I think there was like like Andy Warhol's Frankenstein shit like that. But when it comes down to it, I liked how the art, the, how the the life informed the art, and the artist put that out there as kind of a personal message. I love it when films are personal. I love it when there's personal connectivity to the film. That's why I like Chasing Amy is one of my all time favorite Kevin Smith films. Like a number one Kevin Smith film, one of my top ten films of all time is because that movie is so profoundly personal to the director, to Kevin Smith. And I love that for all of it. When the, when the oh, director and, is really putting themselves in there, like, this is me in film I mean, form. I, I, I love I that. I get that, but I can still criticize the art form itself. Oh, true, that, yeah. Because a, a lot of movies, especially on the lower end, a lot of movies are directors putting themselves out there or they have that personal connection because unlike a big studio film, when you have that no-name indie director that's mortgaging their house and having their buddies come and work for free and they're borrowing their gear and all this other kind of stuff like that alone will always be personal like hands down that will be personal and i will always that's why we always respect uh <laughs> no i love this shirt <laughs> i do 
I love this shirt. This shirt was given to me um, when I was working on the TV show and I was pulling focus on the shirt. So they call me Hocus Focus. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but going back, so there are a lot of films out there that are really personal to the director and that's that's fine. But the thing is, is a bad film is still a bad film. That's I agree. I agree. There's <clears throat> I, this is not the worst film that we've come across obviously that's a that's a low bar but i will say that there was some there was some saving grace to this one at least for me there was uh i've definitely seen it done better there are a number of films we've talked about them there's definitely a bunch of films that have have been done better um so my curiosity is what i want to ask the audience given the we've named a few but there are many others what do y'all think is the best zombie romance film like the best, like like what is in your opinion the best, like what the, this whole thing, like the the love story mixed with the undead, or maybe like the one of the you know what do you think is the best one? I've seen a lot of love for Warm Bodies in the live chat, but there are other films that did it as well. So I'm curious. Let us know down in the comments below or weekendhorror at gmail.com what you think the best Zom Rom film is. Very curious. If there's anything other than I, I, I know, since he says Warm Bodies, I know there's gonna be a lot of Warm Bodies in there. I know oh, there yeah, will be because yeah. Nicholas Holt and Teresa Palmer. Oh, I love Teresa Palmer. Um, but those two were fantastic. Their chemistry was amazing. Not to mention John, you know, come on, John Malkovich. Come on. He's like, it's oh, John yeah. Malkovich. Malkovich, 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 Malkovich. Got some love for Shaun of the Dead. Fantastic. I figure, I figure like the bromance. Yeah. And Sir Kaz yeah. says, would Fido count? 100% yeah. Fido will count. Absolutely. That movie is fucking amazing. Only, only, only fucking Billy. Could you put him in a movie and have him no lines? And have him be fucking like like steal the you know, no lines was that's uh, all he does, and he fucking like Billy Connolly steals the whole goddamn movie. That's all he does. Paint him paint him gray, make him kind of like crusty, and then he goes, uh, and then he he like wins. That's the reason that movie works. That's it. That's all you need, right? That's there. it. Um, Andrew like- Barrett says the best bromance ever. Shaun of the Dead. Yeah, the dead. We have death becomes her. Oh, Death Becomes Her. Yeah, that was a film. I saw that film when I was little, and I forgot that film existed. And I was like, is there some movie where like a girl has a hole in her chest? And I couldn't (laughs) remember. It it took like 15 years before I saw it again. I was like, it does exist. It does exist. Bruce Willis, uh, Bruce Willis, Meryl Streep, and Goldie Hawn. Yes. Yeah, so, oh, Sir Kevin says Nick Cage did the no lines thing very well. Yes, in uh, Willie's Wonderland. Willie's Wonderland, did. which is a fantastic movie. It was so much fun. It's, it's way better than it had any right to be. <laughs> it should have been. Ooh, Casey the Candle brings up My Boyfriend's Back. Excellent. Two that just popped up that I just remembered. Burying the X. Oh, was a good one. And Burying the X was, was Anton Yelchin and Alexander Daddario. So Bearing the X was good okay. and and Life After Beth, which was uh um uh Dane uh, Dane Oh god, he was fucking uh he was Harry oh no, sorry, he was fucking Harry Osborne in in the amazing Spider-Man films. Dane D- oh I can't remember his last name, but his, his I'm first name someone is in the chat will, will Yeah, will. his first name is Dane and Aubrey Plaza. Where Aubrey, Aubrey Plaza's character dies and then comes back and then slowly descends into being a zombie. So, but <laughs> yeah, but uh, uh, Life After Beth is fantastic. And Bearing the X was way better than it had any right to be because that's about a guy who's overbearing, domineering, and damn near borderline abusive girlfriend who's super hot, but obviously 
not all there, winds up getting killed in a bus accident. But her love for him, or her, I guess her neediness, brings her back. <laughs> and so now he now now you have Anton Yelchin's character. He has to deal with you know ah oh, my dead girlfriend is back and the Dane DeHaan. Thank you very much, Travis. Now he's going to deal with that and his burgeoning love for Alexandra Daddario. So called burying the axe. I'm about to check that out. Burying the X. It was good stuff. No, burying the X. You don't like burying, no... like burying the axe. Oh yeah, yeah, burying the axe. Yes. Rode no last name. I almost made a bet ahead of time to see if someone <laughs> would bring up Twilight, and I was gonna say no. I was. I was like, there's no way with our group of uh, listeners that anybody would bring up Twilight. Uh, let's see. Ivy, Ivy contributes of Cockneys versus Zombies. Very cool. And Extra yes. Days says Return of the Living Dead had a couple of relationship factors in it. Absolutely. It did. There's a bunch of good ones out there, but definitely let us know. Oh, in the flesh. Uh, definitely let us know. Thank you, Tony Regime. They definitely let us know down in the comments below what you think the best one has been. So I'd love to hear that. All right. So, and I think I Extra J. I think I saw Extra J. Uh, good to see you. But, oh, and Casey the Cannibal, who brought up my boyfriend's back. Excellent. Casey the Cannibal, good to see you. Thanks so much for being here. Extra J as well. Appreciate it. I hate missing people when they pop into the chat. Sally Skellington as well. Good to see you. Thanks so much for being here tonight. And Robert Bider, good to see you, sir. Thank you so much for hanging out. And I'll make sure I didn't miss anybody. I think I got everybody. I hate missing people when they pop in. I miss their, I miss their names. All right. So what do we got next? But I've been looking forward to talking about this one for a while. So this is a fun one. Oh, we yes. <laughs> yes. You, I, there's a reason. There's a reason I invited you to co-host this show. There's a reason why. This, this was the moment. Five years. Five years in the making. Fifty films. <laughs> to this one moment. I've been looking forward to talking about this one since I so much. Go ahead, kick it off. Let's watch this. Yeah, let's do this. Go ahead. The film is called Low, which was released October 24th, 2009. Roll it. That is Low, which we have directed by Travis Bitts, starring Sarah Lazy and Jeremiah Brickett. And basically, you have our main character, Justin, who enlists the help of a demon to save his girlfriend. But obviously, being a demon, he kind of has his other a uh, couple other plans. And shit gets real. Okay, so, yeah. <laughs> yes. All right, so, um, I found this one back. I, I first found this one back in like 2010 when I came across it at random. I've, I've, I've known about this movie for like forever since, you know, and I came, I was like, it was like, what is this? Cause the, the, it intrigued me because like literally the poster is of the, the, the name low, but then there's like the heart and everything. I was like, this is like a demon. I'm like, okay, the posters got me, you know, very simplistic, very minimalistic poster, demon heart low. And I'm like, huh, let me check this out. So I, you know, it's like, and I was fucking blown away. And it's wild for a for a film as cheap as this one is. Travis Betts fucking knocked it out of the goddamn park. This one is I, totally unexpected. And I wouldn't say Angel Rivera. Good to see you, Angel. Thanks so much for being here tonight. I would not say that this was a retelling of the Orpheus story. There are elements that are similar uh, to that. But I wouldn't say it's the same. 
Uh, I wouldn't say it's it's it directly. I would say there's probably some the, there's a different inspiration there. Um, the director himself, Travis Betts, has stated that the biggest in uh uh, uh there 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 were I, I can't remember specifically what it was, but there were some other inspirations that went into this as far as the minimalistic cinematography. But that's what got me on this one, and I'm sure that you would have you would have appreciated that one as well. Was the minimalism of the cinematography and and how when you have a strong story, you don't need. Uh, a a background <laughs> you really don't you just like that's what i fucking love about this movie you know one of the things i really enjoyed about this movie is that it is very experimental like we talk about in terms of oh well this the, the director didn't take risk or the no the director took risk the director had a vision and he's like this is exactly what i'm going for and I like that this is a film that's shot in a unique way. And it's something that, despite a couple of moments where it's like, okay, you can tell that this film does have kind of a limited budget. It's still made in 2009. Mm-hmm. But going on the minimalist route, there because there's there are literally times where they're sitting like in a void. And just kind of and really just kind of lean into it. This is a film that has a very unique voice, and that's what I that's what I enjoyed about it. It's just it's something different, regardless if you liked it or not. It's something different, and anytime we get something that's unique and different, that's executed well, that's a win. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> oh, Rodel Simpson is jail about to go on a long lecture about symbolism. No, I'm not going to go on a long lecture about symbolism. But I will say that the the one thing that captivated captivated this or made this film so captivating for me is exactly Sarcasm brings up. Um, uh, Sarcasm brings up amazing film, great concept, great acting, unique cinematography, just fucking beautiful. And that is something to be said for a film that as minimalist as this, ostensibly the film itself is shot. You, you literally shot like a play, like you were shooting a th- like a, a, like a theater, like shooting in the theater. So like if I were to set up cameras around a stage production and shoot that and simply edit out like the, like the, like the scene changes, or I had it, even then you wouldn't even need to, because you could set up or you could pre set up every scene change. Okay, where you move from a complete black box to you illuminate the things that you need to see, and then you douse, then you douse the lights when you don't need to see them anymore. That's what I loved about this: that, that Travis Betts managed to uh, bridge the gap between the stage and the screen itself. And the only time you get like an actual like set feel is at the very, very end of the movie when the lights finally come up and the ritual is over, and there is our hero Justin you know, back in reality. Because otherwise, it's dark, it's in hell. We only need to convey what is necessary for that story, which which is brilliant because the lack of a background, or the, I would say the lack of depth, because they're, like you said, they're ostensibly sitting in a void, allows us, the audience, to focus on, like, immediate, like focus directly on what we need to focus on. He does not mince words, and he doesn't parse anything out. It's like, these are the points that, that you need to focus on. This is what is happening. We don't want you to miss anything that the demon's trying to convey. We don't want you to miss anything from his experience. And we only want to convey background stuff when absolutely necessary. I don't care if that was a budgetary limitation or not. I love the way he did it. And if it was a conscious choice, even better. You know, to be able to, to, be able to tell the story in this fashion. And the acting is far above what you would anticipate for something so small. And I'm shocked that this movie didn't get more love 
than it did because Travis's mastery, or I guess the crew he was working with, their mastery of lighting and sound, I mean, fucked, I mean, in, in something like this, fucked up lighting or fucked up sound could have just derailed this entire fucking film at any moment if the sound was off or if the if, or the lighting was fucked up because you want only want to convey specific things and if you can't create the illusion of them being in the, like the void of hell like the abyss if you can't make that happen then you've you've undermined your entire production not to mention I'll give it this the trailer if you haven't seen this if those in the live chat haven't seen this the trailer doesn't actually give away some of the best parts of the movie which is awesome because the interactions between uh the interactions between the demon low and justin uh and i think it was it was jeremiah burkett yeah jeremiah burkett who played low and ward roberts who played justin the the interactions between them are fucking phenomenal i love it how you know you're going from like scary demon to like straight up fucking glib when that motherfucker lights up a cigarette and is like <laughs> or let's talk about this shit i fucking <laughs> love that because are it, you sure you want to do this <laughs> are you really sure you want to do this okay well, i was like i was like let's let's parse this shit out you know let, let's talk this shit out and i'm constantly going to keep up the fear that if you break the circle i'm going to fucking eat your ass so you stay in the circle all right let's have let's let's sit back and have a chat about this stuff i fucking loved the almost because the demons come up and they're fucking demons visually but the way they interact is so it's just so fun it's a very fun way because they come up and they'd be like, yeah, I'm a scary looking demon, but that doesn't mean that I like have to act like one. I could be like whatever, you know, we can, we can have a conversation and shit. <laughs> so I fucking, I fucking enjoyed it. Like John Carius as the demon Lord uh, was fantastic. That was the, the fucker with the, the, the guy who's like dressed like Napoleon is like the, the, like the French yeah. military jacket on comes in like swinging his eyeballs and shit so i i fucking love it i love how they went with it and yo i wish travis i wish the director had gotten some i wish this had taken off uh jail talking about eating ass twice in the stream did i say eating ass i don't think i said eating ass. i, I say eating i don't think so i oh no eating asmr asmr oh, That's oh, okay, like, okay. i think sarcasm's a little bit a little behind in the uh in the stream but I really, really loved this one. I thought this was a, this was so much fun, and I think everybody should watch it. Just you know, what a moment to unmute jail. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And I knew that you would love. I knew that you would like this one because I played. Yeah, it, the thing is, huh? I, I just I enjoy I enjoyed it because it, it is it's hands down it's just something different. I can understand why. Uh, it didn't really hit mainstream because a movie like this is very, very hard to market. Right. And, yes. and they may not have had the budget for pure theatrical distribution because there are some there are some moments like in the like in the end when he's in the room is like, OK, there's some moments that's like you can kind of see the budget here and there when they're outside the void. But so you can still kind of tell these moments is like this is a low, this is a low budget film. But this was something I wish more people would see. And it's, it's similar to, it's similar to kind of like Donnie Darko, but Donnie Darko still has like Jake Gyllenhaal. When Jake Gyllenhaal's career blew up, yeah. then Donnie Darko blew up because people want to go backtrack because Donnie Darko bombed in theaters. And this is kind of the same way where it's just this great unique premise and how they handle it, except nobody from the cast or the director blew up to him. Yeah. Yeah. So, so even, kinda, uh, this is a movie that just gets lost. Yeah, even Sarah Lasses, um, you know, she's done some stuff since then, but she did, she did low 
back in 2009. And then she only did a couple of movies after that. And it just never really went, it never, unfortunately never went anywhere, which is a damn shame because I, everyone was on point. And it's like, there, there isn't, a, I mean, well, yeah, there's some cheapness to it. And I will admit that, you know, so some of the stage scenes, like when the theater, like the stage opens up and it's like, this is your life, you know, Justin, check this out, these moments. Yeah, there's a cheapness to it, but I loved that because it speaks not only it, it, while, while we may be, while, while Travis may have been accomplishing a task by meeting the fact that he had a very, very low budget, it gives us this kind of the idea of how Justin, the character, views the world and how he views life in and of itself. It speaks to both things. Like he kills two birds with one stone. There. I love the idea of a character who is so hopelessly romantic. He's such a, a, a and this brings up, so this is interesting. So we, we understand that Justin is a hopeless romantic. And Raven Darkstar says, I would watch this one, but how stupid can the male character get? You don't call on a demon ever. Has he never watched a horror film? That point is actually brought up in the movie where, where the, the low is like, why would you summon a demon? Are you fucking stupid? Like, how <laughs> dumb are you? Like, literally, you're going to open a portal and come into hell and allow this tiny little circle to protect you from the denizens of the pit. Are you, are you high? But that's, that's the, that's the unwavering hopeless romantic in Justin. So hopeless to the point that he actually views his love life like a theatrical production, the highlights and the colors and the, the, mm -hmm. the whole like presentation. It's all, it's like a, it's not performative. But that's how he views it. That's how romantic he views it, like a Shakespearean drama where the the uh, where the, uh, the 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 faces, where the uh, the uh, tragedy and comedy faces are literally transposed on either on side, side of the stage. Yep. Yes, on either side of the stage. That's how he views life as a beautiful, the beautiful symmetry of the theater. The, that 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 that's the rose-colored glasses he views everything to the point that he will literally eschew the dangers of walking into hell to save his girlfriend and put himself at that kind of risk. And the, not only the physical risk, but also the psychological risk. Cause you know, at one point he starts talking to his fucking hand where like the slice of the cut in his hand starts talking to him. Shit. Like, dude, you're a fucking idiot. Ah, you know, like I fucking <laughs> love that. And it just played so extremely well. And where I was really afraid watching this was that this movie would have been so easy to fuck up in the, in the, in the, in the third act. The ending, like Travis Betts nails the landing because the way this ended could have been really bad. It could have ended in a number of ways, but I thought oh, yeah. he ended it beautifully, you know, where it becomes, it's not just about the other. It's also about you because it's not just a one-sided thing because it shows the flaw in how Travis was approaching the whole problem because it, it recognizes that as much as you love this girl, there is an inherent selfishness in what you are doing. And if you yep. can't see that, and if you're in like literally through that blind selfishness, you know, you're blind through, you're being blinded to that selfishness because you love her so much, lead you down this path that you put her into a position that becomes untenable. So you realize then it's really about you and not about her. And that realization that plays, I fucking love the pacing of that. They could have fucked. He could have fucked it up so bad, but he didn't. He knocked it out of the goddamn park. If you have not seen this movie, go like it's it's literally it's free on YouTube. It's free yeah. on YouTube. Go watch it. Go watch it. It's fucking awesome. You will uh, you will love it. You I mean 
for those who I, I know a few of you did. I know some I know some people said they had a hard time finding it, but it's free on YouTube. Go love it. Go show Travis Bet some love. And I know every view it gets, it's a it's a little, it's a little drop in the bucket. But I don't think enough people know about this one. I don't think enough, enough people know about Travis, about Travis Betts and the work that he did. Definitely go and watch this one. You will thoroughly enjoy it. Yeah, and I love how we. Yeah, and I love how we. I love oh, how go we got ahead. through. We I love how we got through. We didn't spoil like you know the like the total ending part. We didn't like spoil. I don't want to oh, spoil no. this one. I don't. So so when it comes with good movies, I don't like spoil endings because I hope you go out and watch them, and I hope mm. you support the these filmmakers. That that's all. Like one of the ultimate goals is to introduce the horror fans to movies that you haven't heard of, and because there's so many great low budget movies that they don't get the same attention as the big theatrical ones that are just as good and when it comes to movies i want you to go watch that's why i don't spoil it when it comes to movies like the pit i'll tell you i'll spoil it because why because unless you're just a glutton for punishment i'll save you two hours from watching that film but when it comes to like good movies that we've talked about on the podcast I love it when I see in the comments where people are like, I've never heard of this and I watched it and I really liked it. I, I love comments like that. Like, oh man, Dude, especially for the fans that watched the films ahead of time. And they're like, man, that was, that was a great movie. It was something I never would have watched if it wasn't for the podcast. Fuck it. I got that. Point. I got, I got that same warm tingly feeling after after talking about night of the creeps. Because yeah. I was surprised how many people had never seen Night of the Creeps. And I'm like, you have not seen my, like, the greatest Tom Atkins role. Like, the greatest, <laughs> fuck, you have not seen this before? And I was like, no, we haven't seen it before. I was like, you need to go watch it. And then I got comments of like, dude, Night of the Creeps is fucking amazing. Like, of course it is. I wouldn't, yes. it. I wouldn't recommend it if it wasn't. <laughs> so, but yeah, absolutely. Definitely go watch this. And definitely, yeah, like uh, Tony Regime says, leave a like after watching it. And as a matter of fact, you know what? I'm actually inspired. I should have done this before. I should I should get a hold of Travis's contact information. I should like like send him an email. It's like, dude, this movie's fucking amazing. We love talking about it on the on the on the show. And I think more people should watch it. And I will I will spread the love of this movie as often as I can. I have since since I saw it, 2009. I've recommended to people, go watch this movie. And I have not met a single person that has come back and be like, ah, oh, that movie sucks. Everyone I've I've recommended this to has taken has been able to take away something from this film. You know the balance of writing, the 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 ex highly the experimental way that Travis approached this story is just exactly why, you know, <clears throat> I'm shocked. I'm shocked that he doesn't have that his night that or sorry, I saw Night of the Creeps. I'm shocked that his career hasn't taken off, and I and I hope that he gets more opportunities. I hope he hasn't retired. I hope he's still trying to put stuff together because that kind of that kind of risk taking, that kind of of I would say. That mindset, we need more of that mindset in the industry. We need, especially in the indie industry, in the independent industry, we need more people pushing boundaries and showing that you don't need formulaic nonsense in order to make a, uh, make a good movie. You know, you don't. And I love that he was willing to do that. So, yeah, I'm trying to see like what other stuff that he has, uh, that he has directed. Yeah, it's 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 wild because he doesn't even have a he sadly doesn't even have a like a, a Wikipedia page, but <clears throat> if I remember correctly, he has done a shit ton of shorts, like lots. Um, yeah, he's done a lot shorts. of shorts. <clears throat> yeah, the uh, the biggest things he's done is he did um, 
I think he would. Oh no, because that was technically a short as well. He had one of his shorts included in ABCs of Death two point five, which was the M segment. So it was basically like like the twenty six different. Uh, you know, he got chosen like his short film got uh, got chosen for that. So uh, which wasn't bad. You know, Moonstruck wasn't was terrible, but he's done a ridiculous amount of shorts. The guy's got the experience. He's got the talent. He's got the vision, and he's got great instincts. I loved how he like how he approached this. Not to mention a few of his other shorts. You can find them on YouTube. Um, he knows what he's doing. Like he's got a great approach, and he's willing to take risks and willing to be. You know, he's he's, he's like, yeah, it's a business, but we're also creating. And he's willing to take things. If you look at the variety of stuff he's done, it you know he's willing to go in any direction. He'll do whatever. Oh yeah, that's through. yeah, yeah. That's what I'm looking. I'm looking at some of these. Honestly, I'm not gonna lie. He directed a short called Kitten Rap Battle. I'm down. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, yes. I'm like, after the podcast, I'm going to look for that. And his, I think his other two films he did was a, was a film called Little Graves. And it was like his first one. And then uh, his film Joshua, both of which were, were, I think, were really, really solid. So, you know, I wish he'd got, I wish he's gotten more. He did a shit ton in 2009, 2010, 2011. Um, and, for, and he's still working. He's still working. He's got another short that came out in 2021 called Fucking Creatures. Um, so which he did after ABC's ABC's of death 2.5. So he's still working. I just hope he really finally gets his break. Kind of like Gareth Edwards. Gareth Edwards did monsters, which was kind of low budget on location. So, you know, a little bit of CGI, mostly a two hander, the guy and the girl on the journey, but that opened the door for him to do like big fucking movies like, you know, Godzilla. So I hope that one day Travis gets that on one. (laughs) Yeah. Like, bro, I hope, I hope that, Eventually, Travis gets that opportunity to really sink his teeth into a uh, like a, a script, like a like a major like major like blockbuster. I hope he does. He deserves it. He really does. So, I actually I want to ask the audience: Does Low deserve a remake or a sequel? I'm gonna honestly, I'm gonna say no. Not because it's a bad film, but because it's something that is has to be done right, and hitting lighting twice in a bottle is hard. I will agree. It's, yeah, that is it's it should be it's a standalone. We got this, and I think you see you leave the story alone, and it's good enough as it is, and you just move on to something else. Sarcasm says, don't fucking touch it. And I agree. I agree. I agree completely. There is no need to touch this, this. This this story is told so uniquely, and that trying to touch it again will ruin it. And Josh Lee says, "Good as it is, it is absolutely. It's like it's like, yeah, you know, Princess Bride's got some things, and you know, Labyrinth has got some things, but you don't fucking touch those movies. They're they're perfect just the way they are." We don't need to touch those butterfly wings because that butterfly currently flies and we want to make sure it flies. It stays flying. So they're, 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 that, they're just right the way they are. This one, given its experimental nature, given its very unique approach to filmmaking, that it's one of those rare films that can actually you know, sh- you know, showcase, like bridge the divide between uh, the, th- the theater and, the f- and film, which I fucking love. I watched this, and like the first time I watched this, it was back in 2009. Okay, and you remember it was like 2010, and I was I'd only I was only like two out like two years out of KD. No, 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 I was only seven years. I was like seven years out of KD when I saw this film. I immediately wanted to go to KD and shoot something in the black box. I wanted like the black box theater. <laughs> yeah, I was like, we could shoot a movie in there. We totally fucking could. This guy did it. I want to do that too. 
I so wanted to. And, you know, obviously never happened, you know, like that. But I thought it can be done. It can be done. So there you go. I, but, yeah. Yeah, because the thing is, you're right. Because let's say if you take low and you make a sequel and you shoot it the exact same way, all people are going to go, oh, they're copying the same style. But if you do it different and let's say you make it more realistic based, like, you know, like a lot of films are today. Oh, well, now it's too real world based. If you make it experimental right. in a different way, oh, they're trying to make experimental, but it's not working. Like you literally put yourself in a situation where you cannot win. You are doomed from the moment you start writing the script. And it's just only going to go downhill from there. And it's right. it, that's just the way it is. So when you look at we talk with these others like Princess Bride, uh, Travis Brown put up the never ending story. Um, a lot of these, a lot of these other films that you just can't like there's a reason why you take like Gone with the Wind and there's no remake. Because right. Gone with the Wind is that's it. That's that's, that's it. all you need. That uh, that's it. So Travis um, Brown says the sequel's title is Low or <laughs> uh, very cute. Very I, cute. You know, I actually I want to ask an additional question to the audience. And uh, my question is gonna be this. What is a movie that could not absolutely be touched by anybody? Not like a, oh, it can be bad, but it's basically off limits in Hollywood, like Princess Bride, like Never in a Story. What is, what is a movie, aside from Low, what is a movie that you enjoy that is off limits? Like just, you no, cannot touch it, cannot ever. Touch it. You cannot make it better. It's like... No director would touch it because they know it would be a failure from the start. E.T. Yeah. I think, honestly, I think a lot of Steven Spielberg stuff. Yeah. E.T. Can never do that. Can never do that. I mean, that that's, you can't improve upon that at all. You know, you can't. Like, when my heart gets ripped out of my chest, when E.T.'s poor little body is down there on the ground, it's just like, oh. it's like, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so. Travis Brown says Gremlins. Agreed. Uh, Tony Regime says Blazing Saddles. Right. Um, <laughs> that's a whole different reason why. A whole thing. <laughs> uh, Travis Brown says Back to the Future. Agreed. Oh, I, I agree, honestly, I agree. Back, Back to the Future's lightning in the bottle. And Josh Willis says Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Fuck yes. And yeah, Travis Brown says Godfather. Right. Someone said Javer. Javer says Can can the can the new young audience even handle Never Ending Story? I don't know. I really? actually posit no because that's like one of the traumatizing films of our youth. Listen, it really is. Kids' movies in the eighties were like no holds bar. They pulled like, no, no punches. We'll, we'll kill your characters that you love. <laughs> oh, you see, you see this, you see this amazing relationship between this kid and this horse. You know, and you know, you're gonna look through the eyes of a child, and you're gonna love this animal, and they trust each other, and they've been friends forever. Yeah, he's dead. Yeah, yeah, so you're just gonna have to deal, you're just gonna have to fucking deal with that as far as the narrative goes. That's it. You know, that's it. De that's deal it. with this grief, child. It's like that. Okay. Oh, and guess what? This beautiful land of Fantasia, it's gonna be destroyed piece by piece. Just ripped apart of the seams. You're just gonna fucking deal with it, man. Just fucking, just, yo. Uh, <laughs> that, that's it. Uh, <laughs> that, yeah, that, that's, that was kids' movies back in kids' cartoons. People died in kids' cartoons. They did. Like, legitimately died. Like, Johnny Quest. L listen, when when Johnny Quest lands a speedboat on the bad guys, they did not survive. They didn't survive that. They didn't. 
yeah, yeah. Death, death was a death. Death was commonplace. They actually did. Um, what was it? Uh, Jay Verse. I remember when Optimus Prime died. Exactly. Exactly. Guess what? This hero, this hero Autobot, who represents all that is good and just in the world. Okay, and wants to live peacefully amongst humans. Okay, that you've been with like through the entire cartoon series. Yeah. Guess what? He's dead now. Like in the he's first, dead. like t- in the first, like ten minutes, he's fucking toast. It's like not to Optimus. <laughs> when those eyes go dark and it's like no and like all the, all of his colors go muted i was like oh no so yeah yeah we were traumatized labyrinth yeah labyrinth legend yeah, yeah legend, legend can never be taught yeah legend can never be taught touched uh labyrinth can never be touched i remember going back and watching legend not, not to mention tim curry chef's kiss tim you ever like that oh fucking hell loved it oh yeah I mean, but tim man god yeah, damn just, there was some yeah. dark fucking themes in that movie there's some dark shit in that goddamn film it's like <laughs> holy fuck that looked like a kid's movie that was not a kid's movie <laughs> i was like it's like i don't even i don't even care like you know tom cruise you can say whatever you want about him now back then tom cruise was kicking ass and taking names that movie's got some fucking dark shit in it like some seriously dark shit it's like whoo damn fantasy like the the like the repercussions of fantasy worlds are intense yeah oh man all right, so a uh, bunch of it. Flight of the Navigator, don't touch it. Rocky Horror Picture Show, don't touch can't, it. Yeah, can't yeah. touch it. Absolutely. Oh, uh, let me see. Um, I thought I missed somebody pop into the chat. I didn't, but definitely let us know uh, down there in the, in, the, in the comments below. Oh, and by the way, if you haven't seen Low, and you do pop over to Travis Betts' YouTube channel, he does have one. Just look for it. Just search Low 2009 in YouTube. It'll take you right there. Leave a comment. Let him know that, you let know, let him know we yeah you 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 heard about the movie here. No, people are still watching. No, it's not an e. It's not easy to make a film, and anytime yeah. you're able to give some show of gratitude and appreciation, because all he wants people to do is just watch his work. That's all any filmmaker wants is to watch the work and get appreciated. So it. leave him comments. I guarantee you, he'll greatly appreciate it today. Absolutely. All right, so we got one more to talk about. I know we're running a little bit over because we talked about a lot of stuff at the beginning, and we actually spent a lot, lot more time on like the pit than I was expecting us to. <laughs> so, uh, but, uh, but yeah, we're just jumping to our last one, and we're—I know we're going to go past the two-hour mark, but nonetheless, uh, I'm sure the live chat really doesn't get, really doesn't give a shit. Yes, Short Circuit is up there. Breakfast Club as well. Hands down, Breakfast Club. You cannot make that movie any better. Yeah, Tony Regime says this section of the podcast is sponsored by MC Hammers. Can't touch this. Du, 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 can't touch this. Du, du. There we go. <laughs> All right. This next film, our last film for tonight, released October 26, 1988, and it is called Deadly Dreams. Let's check out this trailer. Cue up that terror tube. Yes, that was the trailer for Deadly Dreams, a psychological horror film uh, directed by Christine Peterson, written by Tom Babs, and starring Mitchell Anderson, Juliet Cummins, Xander Berkeley, who has gone on to a long and legendary career, and Tom Babes. Uh, the, the writer started was, uh, was in it as well. I believe it was, um, if I remember correctly, uh, it was Danny, was Danny's character, uh, was the friend. So <clears throat> the film follows... Uh, Alex Tor- Alex Tormey. I kept I kept wanting to pronounce it Torme, but Alex Tormey, who is haunted by the brutal murder of his parents on a Christmas Eve when he was a child. No, this is not Silent Night Deadly Night, even though his name is Alex. And you know, nonetheless, no, but and nonetheless. <laughs> yeah. So he's haunted by the murder of his parents on Christmas Eve, and now he now grown up and in college, um, about to turn twenty one years old. <clears throat> he is 
uh, having recurring nightmares of the events when his parents were killed, that this that this hunter is coming, still coming to get him, and all the time being pressured by his brother to come into the family business because he's about to inherit, you know, he's about to inherit his uh, portion of the family fortune. And uh, it, things begin to like like dreams begin to bleed into reality, and he begins to be unable to determine if the hunter is real or if he's just imagining it or if somebody's actually trying to kill him. Um, yes, the film. I'll just put it like flatly: the film is absolutely uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night meets Nightmare on Elm Street. So they took the they took the opening element, they took the opening premise of Silent Night, Deadly Night. Parents killed brutally on uh, Christmas Eve. And then the 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 killer is like chasing and traumatizing the child grows up into a scenario where essentially dreams and you can see from a lot of the cinematography in the trailer a lot a lot of elements were taken from Nightmare on Elm Street so to to convey like the dream portion of that of that reality like you know the the knife oh, come on the knife coming up through the bed give me I mean, oh yeah on. yeah just, listen yeah, like straight this- up. This hands down is it felt like a cash grab. Um, it felt like, oh, well, we're just going to kind of mash a couple ideas. Um, it, it doesn't have any kind of originality. And the thing is, is unlike you have like Freddy Cougar, which is like you create the villain himself is so interesting. It doesn't matter the college kids that you put around Freddy Cougar. Freddy Cougar will make it interesting on his own. Right. The hunter is not <laughs> okay yeah it's a dude it's a literally a dude walking around with a high-powered hunting rifle and a and a, and a fox face you know a fox like face pelt mask is all it is it's just like ah oh, face fox and because it's creepy looking it's like oh what is it you know and then he's like hunting this guy and we find out it's all lived the only thing i'll give this film despite the fact that it, it was shot fairly well and i kind of dug the dream I, the dream sequences were yeah, taken pretty much it was okay yeah it could have been done it could have been done worse so how they conveyed the, the blending of reality, you know, like, is he dreaming? Is he not? And it was, it was competent. It was competently done. What I will say, and it's the only thing I could really say to salvage film, because the acting is, is okay. I got, I definitely got, there's a, I mean, obviously there were, even the characterizations were taken from already established films. There was stuff taken, I mean, auto, like automatically I got, uh, I drew, um, if I want to make sure that I actually do this, uh, do this uh, correctly, I want to cite the dude um, correctly. Because one thing that I noticed was uh, because Deadly Dreams came out in 88, which is the same year that uh, Friday the 13th Part 8 came out. Mm-hmm. That blows your mind. There were already eight Friday the yeah. 13th films. <laughs> so Jason Takes Manhattan came out the same year. Child's Play came out the same year as this. So... When you look at with uh with uh the, a film that came out three years prior, to this was a Nightmare on Elm Street two, Freddy's Revenge, and Mark Patton's performance in that, I felt, uh th- I felt that Mitchell Anderson took a great deal of inspiration from uh Mark Patton's performance because I saw a lot of elements that that kind of crossed that barrier. So I think Nightmare on Elm Street and Nightmare on Elm Street Part two were big influences on this one. Not to mention uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night, with the extreme example of like you know the killer coming into the home and killing everybody, ha ha! And I'm going to chase the kid and you know terrorize him as well. Um, but what got me is that I'm sitting here kind of like this, like we're kind of like through the film, we're kind of like muddying, you know, muddling our way through. Oh, I see, Diamond Elm Street, uh, you know, Silent Night, Deadly Night. I get this whole thing. Is it reality? Is it not? Holy shit! I was so kind of blinded. And I, this is weird to say. I was so blinded by the mediocrity of what was going on, I didn't anticipate that twist at the end. I actually didn't see that coming 
because and going back and I had to watch it a second time. I actually watched this movie twice. You watched it because, twice? I did. I did because only because of that twist at the at that at the twist at the end. Because I was like, holy shit! Wait a minute, did I just miss the foreshadowing that that was what was going on? No, there is no foreshadowing of that of what's going on. <laughs> we find out. We find out actually rather quickly. We find out that Alex is being fucked with. Okay, that it's his brother, his fucking asshole brother, and his and the girl that you know they're like his girlfriend. No, she's fucking his brother. That they are gaslighting Alex into like a psychological breakdown, and so that they can have him committed and take his and get gain control of his inheritance. That's the whole point. It's all money. So it's like, oh, okay. There's nothing. Psych- there's nothing supernatural going on here. It's literally just you know, it's a gaslighting thing. No, it's not. It's a revenge film. Because as it turns out in the end, the girlfriend winds up and all of a sudden, like, you know, that like 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 Xander Berkeley's character, like fucking Jack is in there, and Jack is like in bed, is like, ah, the Jack gets killed. And then she's on the phone with her mom saying, Dad can rest in peace. Because it was her father who was the killer in the front in the beginning of the film. Because it was it was a revenge, the whole thing is a revenge movie. So it literally goes from this psychological horror to this dream-based kind of reality questioning. Motif, oh no, it's a gaslighting film. No, it's been a revenge horror the entire time. And I'm like, holy shit, I didn't expect that. You know what? At that point, I was so checked out. (laughs) 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 I'm getting, I'm like trudging through it just to get through it. I was going, like, ah. So, like, when the end, where she's sitting there, she's on the phone with him, it's kind of like, ah, that's kind of interesting. Then in the end, that was it. Yeah. <laughs> what was it? Uh, let me see. Well, it's not a lot of way better. It's not. It's not a lot. It's not a lot of way better movies with very. Thank you, sarcasm. Uh, dig that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now with as thick as beds are, they would need a sword. I agree with you, Cindy Sue, because and uh, Sir Kev said, yeah, nobody's going to be able to shove four steak knives on a glove through twelve inches of memory foam. <laughs> That's true. My mattress is pretty hardcore. Those those shitty mattresses that they would fucking have in like. I mean, you think about it, like Friday the 13th, when it's like the spear, number one, I never did figure out how like the spear that was long got that like close, like through the bed is like the dude, the, the, the space was like, it's like, it's like a, it's like a foot and you got that whole spear, like I've uh, got the leverage to go with that's just, you know, amazing. But nonetheless, you're right. My memory foam, our memory foam does protect us. It's like trying to stab it. God damn it. Just keeps, it just keeps reforming. So, but that was the thing that kind of got me about this one is I, and I don't mind kind of spoiling this one. The movie's old. You know, it was 1988. I was eight years old when this came out. I remember seeing the VHS in Blockbuster. You know, it was like the the, the killer with the gun and the and the fox mask. I was like, th- that left an impression. I was like, ah, interesting. Like, is that a pelt on his face? Is that that's weird? So it was kind of like I always remember that because it was very simple. Red lettering, deadly dreams, blue background, you know, blue dreamlike background, killer with gun and fox mask. And I was like, huh, that's not bad. That He's could like, be interesting. That and could man. be interesting. Unfortunately, it's we see that this this came in the wake of the post Nightmare on Elm Street, post Silent Night, Deadly Night slasher flicks, and they tried to take elements for both. They you know kind of made it work. The acting is not bad. The only thing I would say salvage this movie a little bit is the fact that the twist at the end you, you just don't see coming because they don't foreshadow. They del- I found that I went back and watched. There was no foreshadowing whatsoever. It's literally like, oh, like this guy came in and killed the family. Okay, so he killed him over a financial dispute. Okay, cool. All the way through the movie, then the very, very last moment, it was her dad. So she's been setting everybody up the whole time. She's been playing everyone. I was like, that's pretty impressive, you know? 
pretty yeah, impressive yeah. that you were willing, pretty impressive that you were willing to fuck you, both of your targets. You got you got to hold my attention long enough. Well, I would do want to say uh, I want to say hello to B Blanco who says made oh, it B. to Blanco. the live for the very first time. So yes. I'm glad you're able to join us. Awesome, B Blanco. Good to see you. Thanks so much for being here. Appreciate it. I was Andrew versus I graduated high school in 1988. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's been a minute. Absolutely. I would say the, it was the only thing I got it was because, oh, you know, what was it? Uh, Casey Cooper would have liked it better if it was a fox getting your favorite. Oh, if he liked it, he's like, ah, oh, it's an actual fox. Ah, it's an actual funny. fox. It's an actual fox. <laughs> what does the so, fox say? <laughs> so I will say that it kind of got me a bit. I, I, I was kind of thrown. I was, I was taken, taken, or taken by surprise because of the twist ending. I was like, I did not expect that because they did not foreshadow it at all. It, it did, but the good thing is it didn't even feel like it was tacked on. It didn't feel like there was like multiple endings. They said, oh, but let's add this in as well. Let's, oh, let's do this too. It's like, no, because she's going down and leaving the room because the hitman, she knows the hitman is coming. And so it was like, okay, so she leaves. But then the hitman comes in and you're like, holy shit. And then she's like, yep, mom, dad can finally rest. It's taken care of. The fact that this chick was willing to do that, that she was willing to bang both of her targets as a part of this grand scheme to fuck them both over. With no financial gain whatsoever. She's not getting anything. She wasn't married to either. It's not about money. It's about revenge for her dad, which is kind of impressive because they make a big point earlier in the film, you know, that they're not married. He's like, oh, you're just trying to get with my brother, but that's all gaslighting as well. So it, it, there's a lot of elements that play here that almost work. They almost do. I'll give it that because unfortunately, this kind of like gets lost in the barrel of post nightmare, <laughs> post silent night, post Friday the 13th shit that came out afterwards. Or they came out all, all at the same time. Yeah, there's there's, there's really yeah, <laughs> there's that's pretty really, much it. Yeah, there's there, there's there's nothing to it. Um, and <laughs> Sarah Bellis says she Sarah Bellis says she fucked them over literally. She did, she did both literally and figuratively. She absolutely did. <laughs> Wait, you're the daughter of Raja Cool, but we totally had sex. <laughs> but we totally had sex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, it's all part. It's all part of my. It's all part of my master. It was, it was all part of uh, like whatever is like all part of my master. Uh, I can't remember the master plan. Whatever it was like, I was like, really? That was your master plan? Sign, sign me, me up for another. <laughs> she tamed my monster. <laughs> you tamed my monster with your mouth, in an and order and that two would other and two you. other places, in an order that would surprise you. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny but the question i would give given what yo given this uh talking about deadly dreams here um given the elements that were that were involved in here one of the uh, a fascinating aspect of horror is one i've always kind of dug was gaslighting horror because gaslighting when you gaslighting a character is a part of the horror story then you can you can you can explore the area of the unreliable of the uh the unreliable narrator because if the narrator if the protagonist of the film doesn't understand that they're being gaslit then we, the audience, being you know, you know, as we're carrying along with the story with the protagonist, we don't know what's real and what's not. So we are we are as trapped as them. So ostensibly, when you have gaslighting as a part of the uh, part of the story, the audience is being gaslit in equal amounts to the protagonist. So it's happening to us as well. The filmmakers are gaslighting us as the protagonist being gaslit by the villains in the film. So my curiosity was because I dug that so much. What do y'all think out there in the lives? This is a question I have for y'all tonight. What do you think is the best gaslighting horror film where that was a major element with our protagonist or people were being gaslit by somebody else? 
So, or quite possibly, or uh, we are getting gaslit ourselves. Yes, or we are possibly gaslit. We're being led into gaslighting ourselves. Who knows? But what do you think is the best gaslighting horror film? Let us know down in the comments below at weekendhorror at gmail.com. I'd love to hear a response to that because there are several out there. There even is a horror film called, like, you know, our psychological horror film called Gaslight. So, right <laughs> it, off, actually, like, right off the bat, I think of uh, the latest Invisible Man. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Because he was, yes. Because being invisible, he could do that. He's like, is she losing her mind? Or he's like, she begins to question reality until she stabs that fucker with a pen. And it's just fucking amazing. <laughs> like, oh, I know you're there, bitch. <laughs> uh, ooh, Casey Cooper brings up Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte. Yes. So, love it. Yeah, the original name from when, the original from whence the name came, Gaslight, 1944. Gaslight. Rosemary's Baby was an excellent example. Because they, yes. yeah, they're, they're fucking with her. Stepford Wives, also very good. Excellent ones out there. Yeah, single white female. Absolutely. We so have, uh, We also have uh, Clue. <laughs> clue. <laughs> um, what would we say? Uh, would we? Oh, Clover, Cloverfield Lane. Until they ruin the ending. Thank you, wrote in the last name. Absolutely. Oh, The Shining. Misery. Oh, Misery. Oh, yeah. Fuck yes. Absolutely. Um, would we say Basic Instinct? I know that's a thriller. No, no. But there was some... Yeah. There were some horror elements in there, but she has to, uh, um, oh, oh, or what about, uh, let's see, Basic Instinct or, um, oh, what was the one? Uh, fucking hell. Michael Douglas. Glenn Close. Michael Douglas, oh. Glenn Close, Bunny in the Pot. Oh, I know you're talking, I, I can picture it in my head, too. Because that, that was a psychological horror film. Even yeah. though they won't, they won't label it that. That would be, you know, come on, Bunny in the Pot. I mean, come on, what are you doing? Um... I can't remember the name of it. What the fuck? Fatal Attraction. Thank Fatal you, Sarcasm. Yes. Why? How the fuck did I miss that name? I, Fatal Attraction. I say we would play up into that as well. Bunch of Let us know down in the comments below or weekendhorror at gmail.com. Love to hear your thoughts. There's some excellent selections there in the live chat as well. All right, Eugene, you know what time it is. And, and Raven Darkstar also knows what time it is. You're supposed to say it. It's trivia time. <laughs> trivia time. So, remember, the first person in the live chat to get the correct answer to this trivia question tonight, we've got the live chat up right now, gets a special item from the Weekend Horror Store from the Season 5 line. We have some excellent things over there. So, we have stickers, we have pint glasses, we have t-shirts. So, check out. The link is down in the description. But, yes, first person to get the correct answer gets... A special item for the Weekend Horror Store. Take it away, Eugene. So the trivia question is, Travis Bitts was inspired to make Low after watching what film by surrealist Czech filmmaker Jean Svankmeyer? How, how do you pronounce the last name? Jean Svankmeyer. John Schunkmeyer. Svunkmeyer. 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 So say it again. <laughs> Travis Spunk. Bentz. Travis Bentz was inspired to make Low after watching what film by surrealist Czech filmmaker Zwan <laughs> Svunkmeyer. And Thank Travis you. Brown actually got it already. And yes, it was <laughs> Faust. So yes, um, the uh, Travis Betts was inspired by Jan Svunkmeyer's, uh, who's a who's a uh, Czech filmmaker, 
um, by his uh, film Faust because uh, that film itself was shot very was shot experimentally very similar or so like like low was shot very similar similarly to how Faust was shot because that film was shot in a like a single location and incorporated puppetry and claymation and stay in uh, stop motion in order to play that but a very minimalistic performance and the, but the the story of Faust is very complex so Travis stated in a, in an interview that he was kind of like fascinated by the idea of a, of a very complex and deep story being told with such a in such a minimalistic uh way and he wanted to try his hand at that and thus we have low and you can see with faust the uh the array kind of like the arrangement with the devil and the man and like that but that was what uh, that that film faust actually won um it was selected as the check entry for the best foreign language film at the 67th academy awards although it was not accepted as a nominee but it did kind of like just like for a first uh was brought in for selection um, really excellent stuff. If you can find Faust came out in 1994, definitely check that out. But that was the, that film was the inspiration behind the movie Low, which I thought was really really cool. So awesome. congrats, so congratulations, uh, Travis Brown, you got that. Um, let me see, watch Cinemas, yo, Cinemasker's video about it. Absolutely, definitely do that. Cinemasker, I can't remember what streaming service that's on, but I have seen it. So, uh, you know, that was a very yes, Robert Biter, that was a very Faust answer. <laughs> oh, <dear. laughs> it took him a second it took him a second yeah sir cap says travis is too good he needs to be handicapped for screwing the bell curve he really he kind of does he really kind of does but he he knocked it out sarah Vella says my fingers freeze up in terror at not knowing the answer oh it's the time that she is the time that she fears the most um and see casey cooper's right see the the the, the air horn's not that bad it's it not bad that bad it's not that bad. It's not. But congratulations, Travis Brown. Let me get your name down. And we will get that printed and out to you ASAP. And I think your season five collection should almost be done as soon as the uh, the last one you... Uh, I think I think so. You already should have gotten the last one, but you should be coming up. Yeah, so... Oh, well, you did, do you did donate the previous one to, uh, to, uh, to Angel Rivera, which should be arriving soon. So, but congratulations once again, Travis. All right. Well, that horror fiends is going to conclude this episode of the Week in Horror podcast. We want to thank you all so much for joining us. We truly hope that you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please smash those like and subscribe buttons and be sure to hit that bell so you never miss a future episode. Join us next week when we look back at the Monster Creep Fest Door in the Woods, the Del Toro produced Wendigo Horror Antlers, the terrifying practical effects driven Splinter and classic werewolf terror in Bad Moon. We got four fucking good movies next week. Be sure to check out Josh Olson's store at badsamurai.store. He does all the awesome artwork. You see splattered all over our merchandise, which you can find over at Teespring. For more from Week in Horror, check out all the bloody links that are down in the description. Follow us at the socials for the daily splatter, your daily horror recommendation. Join our Discord for watch parties, big announcements, all kinds of horror shenanigans, and support the show through channel memberships right here with the Army of the Dead, Super Chats, PayPal, or even through our Patreon for as little as a dollar a month. What are you waiting for? Join us. As always, thank each and every single one of you for being the greatest audience a horror film podcast could possibly have. I am JL. And I'm Eugene. We will see you all next week. And as always, stay scared. <laughs>